Let's talk about going to prison over 50 times. Let's also discuss the first time you were violent. What about the day you and your siblings realised you were black? And a whole lot more. This is Pablo from Hackney, and this is Pablo's podcast. Thank you for choosing Pablo's podcast today. Welcome. This week, we have the pleasure of being joined by Errol McGlashan, a witty spoken word artist and performance poet who's got some very strong outspoken views. We'll probably hear some of those today, no doubt. Um, but he's, he's somebody that I really enjoy. Um, I really enjoy his art. I really enjoy his art, you know, um, from the, the physicality of it to the wittiness of it to um, the content of it, the way he puts words together. He's very unique in that way. Um, but he's lived a life that I'm sure many people can relate to, for sure. Um, so without further ado, um, Errol, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, how you doing, Pablo? Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. So your, your story, um, I know there's been lots of ups, lots of downs, you know, you've been around for a while. So your, I feel like your story is um, it's an important one. You know, it's, it's definitely an important one. But as usual, I like to start from the beginning. Um, and when I say the beginning, like, you know, your, your family background, you know, where you're from, um, in regards to, you know, family, siblings, etc. But the early years, like, so if you'd give us a little insight into that side of things. Okay, so, um, you know, like, usually when I talk about my childhood and my past and that, um, I say stuff like, yeah, I grew up in care. So, you know, it all started for me growing up in care. But the other day, my mum, who lives in Jamaica, and um, I was talking to her the other day, and somebody had sent her a video, mm. and she was saying, oh, you mean you grew up in care? You didn't grow up in no care. Mm. You was in the children's home at the beginning, but <laughs> then they come and rescue you. But you didn't behave your damn self, so you had to go back. So basically, when I was born, when I was about one years old, me and my sister went into a children's home because um, my mum can cope, basically. Mm-hmm. And then when we were five and six, my mum came into this home um, and basically just snatched us, just literally snatched us out of the place. Nobody stopped her, even to this day, you know what I mean, 40-odd years later, 50-odd years later, I'm still waiting for someone to say, hold on, hold on. You can't do that, you know what I mean? But nobody stopped her, and she took us out. And, yeah, um, so we grew up with our mum from when we were five and six, four of us. And then I was um, quite badly behaved for a number of reasons. Mm. And um, when I was, like, 12, a care order was made, and I spent the rest of my adolescence growing up in a, in a home, in a home for naughty boys, Okay. It was called. It was called. It was Denham Court in Buckinghamshire. Right. So you was split up from your siblings at that point. Yes, but I've always known them. You know, mm. and not so much now, um, sadly. Mm. But I always knew them. You know, because I went to school and everything. You know what I mean? And the home wasn't too far from Hillingdon, which was where my mum was living. Mm. So this boy's home, it was you know about five miles out, so I could travel back. And yeah, so I always knew my brothers and my sisters as I was growing up. 
Okay. So was 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 that a feature at that time? No. So I never. I've never had a dad. I've never um, known a dad. You know, I had a stepdad for a while. So I had Lyndon, um, Daddy London, I used to call him, <laughs> and he was around for three years, and he was quite a. Uh, you know what I mean? He was quite a big part of my, you know, of my time with my mum from when I was about five to 12. Well, for three years of it. So, mm. yes, he was around, but he wasn't, there wasn't so much of an impact. You know, him and my mum used to fight all the time. So, no, I've never really had a father figure, but he was around for three years and I do value his time when he was around. Okay, okay. All right, so in total, you was in care for... For how long, roughly? For, so I was in care from one till I was about six years old. Hmm. And then I went back when I was, say, I think I was 12. When 11 or 12, I just started secondary school. So I must have been 11 hmm. um, till I was 17. Okay. So what's that? <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, let's say, five years and six. Hmm. So, yeah, I was, I, was, I was in a home for a long time. You know? And so, how, how would you describe um, being a, in a home at that time, in a, that kind of establishment? Um, well, you know, I was in various places, but the ones that had the biggest impact on me were like the, you know, the homes, like the boys' homes. So I was in a place called Denham's Court. I was there for few years, mm -hmm. and um, I would have to say, you know, there was a lot of good stuff that happened there. There was a lot of bad stuff, and there was a lot of stuff that shouldn't have happened and definitely not to children because at the end of the day we were kids even though we feel, we felt grown up um i would say that being in a home surrounded by so-called naughty boys but not naughty boys you know people are troubled you know what i mean you know like me and my sister we were very troubled mm. by what happened when we were young you know what i mean being just snatched away not being able to get our heads around it mm. And um, there's a certain culture that grows up amongst, you know what I mean, boys who are kind of considered rebels, considered naughty, if you like, you know what I mean? And this culture is, you know, there's certain places, there's certain institutions, there's certain pathways that people who have who are under this umbrella will go. Mm. So, you know, it was normal for me to hear things like, oh, have you done detention centre yet? Or when I was at detention centre, or when I was at Ballstall, you know what I mean? So when I was young, I knew that eventually I would probably end up in detention centre mm. and I'd probably end up in Ballstall, mm. you know? So it was part, so, part yeah. of the course. Yeah, it kind of became, you know, we... I, I, I talked about this before, you know. I, I remember being told a statistic, you know what I mean? You know, I've got to tell you, uni was never talked about when I was young. Mm. It was never an option, you know what I mean? It was never considered that that could be an option, you know? Mm. And um, I remember being told this statistic that, you know, you know, people who grow up in care are, you know, five times more likely to go to prison than uni. Mm. That was the only time it was mentioned. And I don't know, there's something about that, that when that is said to young people, young impressionable minds, it opens up a kind of acceptable pathway in their mind, acceptable option. Well, it did in mine. Mm. I mean, to go into crime was an acceptable option in my mind. Mm. 
But, you know, maybe... But, you know, there's this thing, because... You know, like, when I talk, I talk about the influences, you know what I mean? So growing up in care, being surrounded by, you know what I mean, sometimes care workers who didn't care, although many who did care, being surrounded by guys who were leading me this way and that way, you know, I could say, okay, so they were the influences that guided my behaviour, but also there was me. You know, it's easy to pull it down to um, circumstances and other people and that, but I did have a brain in them days, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, I, you know, I did have agency, you know, I remember the first time I went into a car park with my mates and just smashed car windows for absolutely no reason apart from boredom and it was something exciting to do. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that night when I'd done that. That night, I could not sleep. I had nightmares all night. I knew, you know what I mean? It's not like I knew I shouldn't have been doing that. Mm. You know, so I have to take responsibility. So even though I'm blaming growing up in care, I'm also blaming myself. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you, were you accepting the fact that you, you did have choice? You know? Yeah. It didn't, it didn't just happen, you did have choice. But obviously, you know, we can't take away from the fact that you was in care, you know, and you'd gone through, you know, whatever trauma um, and, and all of what it is to be taken away from your, from your parents and, you know. So that, that does play a part in it, but you do have a choice in the, the actions you take, I suppose. You know, I, I mean, for me, I wouldn't minimise um, the fact that you was a child, and when, when children make when children make choices, you know, is with limited knowledge. Even though they do have choice in what they're doing, it is coming with limited knowledge and you know, good behaviour, bad behaviour, it comes from somewhere. Yeah. I you know, I think young people, like when I think about myself, we're looking adventure, we're looking you know what I mean, expression. We're looking to say, look, we are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, and sometimes it seems as if there's not much options to say that apart from, <coughs> excuse me, um, getting into trouble. You know, that's a good way to say that I'm here by getting into trouble, by going into jail. You know, what I mean, I'm here. Mm. You know, it's this is how some people express themselves. Like some people might express themselves. I don't know. You know, what I mean, doing jujitsu or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it is one of the options. It seems. Yeah, definitely. So, so during your time in in care, obviously you was you were at school during that time as well. What was what was school like? Like like from primary school through to secondary school, what was that experience like? So, and, what, um, and what year are we talking about? What what years are we talking about? So we're talking about um, sort of early seventies, early to mid seventies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I went to. I went to a school called, my primary school was a school called St. Mary's, and then I went to a school called Stationers, which was in Hornsey. This was a completely black area. And then we moved to Hillingdon, which was a completely white area. It was totally white, you know what I mean? There was only three black people in my school. So I had that contrast and that very much to deal with. And as a kid, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I I had certain things, you know, like... um, I remember in primary school once I was messing about. I was messing about on the playground, and you know what I mean. There was a skipping rope involved, and someone got tied up, and you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and just um, 
boisterous behaviour on the playground. Mm. And I remember the headmaster, um, his name was Mr Davis, and he took me into his office, you know what I mean? Um, I was in trouble, you know mm. what I mean, for being involved in this thing, even though it wasn't just me. And he took me into the office, and I sat there while he made a few phone calls. And within two hours, this guy had got me into a what was called an ESN school. You know, so it was, you know, watching um, the last small acts program, you know, this, um, um, the one on education, you know, mm. this thing that's Steve been McQueen. on BBC, what you've been talking about, that. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know what I mean? I, I totally connected with it, you know what I mean? So within two hours, this guy had me in a, enrolled in an ESN school, which was educational subnormal. Mm. So I'd been diagnosed as educational subnormal and kicked out of that school and enrolled in the school. And not only that, they'd send in a minibus to come and pick me up. Mm. They were literally on their way. Mm. And either they must have called my mum or somehow my mum must have heard about it. But she came down the school firm-handed. Mm. So she came down the school with, you know what I mean, three or four women who were part, I think they were, I think it was called the Black Liberation Front. They were just part of this organisation, these black women who used to get together and talk about, you know what I mean, equal rights and black power and these things there, you know mm. what I mean? And, you know, my mum used to have a, a picture on the wall by Angela Davis saying, the real criminals in this society are not all of those people who populate the prisons across the state, but those who have stolen the wealth of the wealth from the people. So my mum had a certain militancy which she got from the woman downstairs, um, mm. Auntie Pam and the woman next door which was Auntie Gloria. Both women saved my life on the regular and I don't say that lightly. My mum could have easily killed me during that time, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I mean she'll probably hear this and say what do you mean we kill you? <laughs> but yeah, she did. She did try to kill me, my mum, many times you know what I mean? Kill me with licks. Mm. So yeah. yes, mm. so you know, I remember that experience at school and I was bright at school. I, I really enjoyed my primary school. I was clever, you know what I mean? I used to always be happy to stand up and read out loud and I could work out problems on the blackboard and all that. Mm. And I was very much looking forward to going to secondary school. Mm. When I got to secondary school, something went wrong. Something happened. I found myself bored in the lessons, you know what I mean? Mm. Since this, I know that it was, you know what I mean, I trained as a learning style tutor and that much later mm. on in life and um, I learned that, you know what I mean it was because I wasn't being taught according to my learning style but I just found myself in these classes bored, is this, bored is this... out of my brain, just totally bored bored to the extent where I wanted to bang my head on the desk Right, is, just... it, is this before they, they changed your school, you're talking this about? Was before, this was before I went to Hillingdon. Okay, before he sent so you to the special was... school yeah, so I never... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was, with the special... I never ended up going. Oh, Because my mum kicked up such a fuss that they abandoned it. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. So you didn't and that is one of the things that I've always been grateful for my... You know what I mean? Mm. To my mum. Yeah. That she had the, you know what I mean, the gumption there to say, no, yeah. I'm not having it, you know what I mean? 
yeah. she couldn't save me from DC years later. Yeah, because I, I was, I mean, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, and like you said, just watching um, that final episode of Small Acts on education, it sounded like you was you was about to tell exactly the same story as that show, you know? It's so you're, you but know, the difference it, is I, you were saved. Yeah, I was saved, yes. Mm. So I was, I was actually saved from it, which, um, as I said, I've always been grateful to my mum because, um, you know, those schools were not good. Mm. You know, if you think about it, they've got all these kids there who may have troubling behaviour or may not have had troubling behaviour. I don't think, you know, yes, I used to misbehave, but I don't think more than anyone else, you know what mm. I mean? My proper misbehaviour happened when I started getting to Denham Court, mm. where there was, you know, I was put in Denham Court when I went into care and, um, you know, it was beyond parental control. Mm. This was the diagnosis then beyond parental control but little did they know that my mum did have control over me you know mm. what I mean I there were certain things I wouldn't have done and when that was taken away I was free was I tell you, the stuff I got up to at dead of court you know what I mean <laughs> you know there was there was like 12 of us boys there we used to go on these mass shopping these shoplifting sprees we used to bunk off school to the day we used to rake it in the stuff we used to get up to you know mm. and um yeah Anyway. I could imagine. I could imagine. So, so okay. So when you got to that school, things started to, you know, you started to be free, a bit wayward. Um, did you, did you, did you suffer any discrimination through, okay, through that period so, of time? Okay. Um, so, you know, like, um, you know, like uh, when I was at Stationers. So Stationers was an all boys school in Hornsey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was a black school. You know, the, the police used to patrol it at playgrounds, that kind of thing, dinner time, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was a very black school, and I remember once this guy just called me over. So, you know what I mean? I'm a kid. I'm in the first year. Yeah. This guy who's in the fourth year, he just called me over. This big, tall, black dude, I'll never forget. He just called me over. He goes, come here. And I went over because I thought he wanted to say something to me. He goes, listen to this. And then he just headbutted me at the top of my head. You know mm. what I mean? And I've never forgotten it, how that just dropped me to my knees, you know what I mean? Mm. And then another time, um, I was partnered up with this guy um, who came from Jamaica and he was new in the school. And I partnered it up and he switched on me and he punched me in my solar plexus mm. for no reason. And I'll never forget how winded I was, how I was dropped on the floor. Anyway, that was in the first year of Hornsey. And then I we moved. Mm-hmm. My mum thought, right, let me just move out of this area. And we went to Hillingdon. And mm-hmm. I went to this school where I was such a novelty, but such a target, you know what I mean? And then we had the skinhead era coming in, you know what I mean? And, you know, like, my mates had swastikas tattooed on their heads, you know what I mean? Like... Um, it was normal for me to be called a coon and this and that and this and that. And I was, um, I could ride with it, you know what I mean? I wouldn't get into a fight because somebody called me a gollywog, you know what I mean? If someone in an argumentative tone, like in a fighting tone, called me a black bastard or whatever, then it's fighting, you know what I mean? So I would say that I suffered racism when I was a kid growing up in Hillington, without a doubt. I got beaten up for literally no reason. However, what I would say is that when I look back at it, is that children are savages. Mm -hmm. 
And they, you know what I mean? They, they, they will pick on anyone for anything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, your, your description is just an excuse. So, you know what I mean? The fact that you're black is an excuse. The fact that you're ginger, the fact that you're tall and all the rest of it. So I would say in my life, the harshest racism that I've suffered was at school, at Greenway School in Hillingdon. Mm. Um, and that was because of kids who hadn't seen a black person before or how they'd grown up and all the rest of it. You know what I mean? So I've, I've had many incidents, you know. I remember someone wrote on one of the subways, um, you know, the thing that just goes under the ground to meet one side to the other side. And someone wrote... Um, all wogs out, you know what I mean? And then someone else wrote underneath there, except Errol McGlashan, you know what I mean? And I felt a sense of shame and pride at the same time, Mm. you know what I mean? And then I remember, you know, the the amount of times that I'd get surrounded and attacked, that would be the same amount of times that there'd be other people wanting to save me. Mm. You get me, you know what I mean? So all of my friends in that time, they were white people. I, I grew up in Hillingdon, with um, white people, and they was all white people. So I'm I'm not on this, um, you know what I mean? Um, well, anyway, it's a different subject, but yeah. you know, like how we going lately with all this white guilt and that. I'm just literally, I'm not feeling it. Do, do you know I'm what? Not... Do you know what really sticks out for me? I'm listening to what you're saying, but what is ringing in my head is when you said, "My friends, I had white friends who had swastikas stickers." tattooed on their face yeah like that so, so that this statement. one guy in particular he was a guy i had lunch with all the time mm. he was a mate of mine we saw each other out and um he there was a period you know this is 1976 77 you know what i mean skinheads mm. were coming large you know what i mean you know they'd all be charting zigha zigha you know what i mean mm. you know i remember having plenty of banter with you know, guys at school, because I used to say, you dance to reggae, you mugs, you know what I mean, and all that. Mm. Um, yeah, but one one guy in particular, he had a swastika under his um, um, hairline. I saw him years later. Mm. I saw him, like, 20 years later, and I remember when I was talking to him, I was thinking, you've got a swastika under your head. Huh? You know what I mean? <laughs> I've written a little story about him, actually. Wow. That's, that's, that is amazing. That's, um yeah. Sad, sad and amazing. Yeah, a bit conflict. Uh, I'm a bit conflicted as to, yeah, how that even makes me feel. It's not even me, but you know. To, but yeah, it's, it's sad. Well, you know, you know, um, it's really weird, right, Pablo. Mm. When I was, I was in Hillingdon. Yeah, mm. I'm like 11. I'm 12 years old. I think I just come up to 12. I'm in Hillingdon, and. I'm surrounded by people who are kind of admiring me about curiosity, you know what I mean? This touching the hair business, this getting me to talk, even though I had a Cockney accent, mm. getting me to say things in Jamaica, you know what I mean? Uh, what can I say? It, what I'm trying to say is that kids are kids. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, even yeah. though I suffered. Don't get me wrong. I, I remember I used to sprint on my way home, so I wouldn't get rushed, you know what I mean? But mm. there's other people getting rushed for other reasons. Anyway, I lost my train of thought. There, mm. but anyway, I yeah, no, no, I hear, man. It's, I mean, all, all of that stuff that went on for you as, as a young person, obviously, 
feeds into how your life, you know, the trajectory your, your life's taken, even though I know you'll speak about it as, you know, I had choice, I had agency, which you do. But all of these things are obviously not the norm for everybody. And they are traumatic, whether, whether you accept it as that at the time or even acknowledge it as, as that now. It, um, it, it is traumatic and it does shape who you are and the decisions you make. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite um, heartfelt hearing that you, you went through that. But you went through it and you're, you're here now, you know, and it is part of your story. So what I wanted to ask you, though, is um, so once you kind of left school, still teenager years, you know, before having children, before um, being involved, you know, before any encounters with the criminal justice system, what was what was life like then? Was there a, was there a time between? So, um, so I had encounters with the criminal justice system from when I was fourteen. Okay, so it started. So early. it's never been a time, Did you know. So as soon as I was old enough, when I was fourteen, I went to one um, what they call it a secure unit for mm -hmm. you know me a good few weeks, mm -hmm. and then when I was old enough, fifteen or sixteen, I went to detention centre. I went to Bolstall, done Bolstall recall. So I've always been around that. There's always been that. Every couple of years, I'm in trouble, and mm -hmm. I've. You know what I mean? To the extent where it got to the extent where I wasn't even bothered anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. I wasn't scared of prison centres because I've mm. been so many times or going on remand and all the rest of it. Mm. However, at the same time, you know, I, I was doing things. You know what I mean? I used to work. You know what I mean? I remember I was assistant manager at a supermarket. You know what I mean? I okay. was, um, you know, I've I've done teaching later on in my life, but mm. I've always had that. You know, you know, it's weird. You see how, um, so my mum's Jamaican, yeah, so Jamaican parents. My mum took me to the side one day. Mm. And I love this story in because for one reason, it kind of, it, it gets me away from taking responsibility. And we nobody <laughs> wants to take responsibility. And I just think, oh, it's, it's not down to me. But the other thing is kind of a good story. It sort of outlines mm. how sometimes Jamaicans think. So... Mm. When I was young, yeah, I used to be a bit of a kleptomania. I used to just lick stuff just for the hell of it, you know what I mean? My mum, on occasion, would search me before I'd leave somewhere, you know what I mean? A friend's house or shop or something. So, you teeth anything, you know what I mean? Sticky fingers. So, she got me out of it, yeah. And, um... Oh, sorry. I've just forgotten my trade of thought. Where was I? Oh, yes. So, anyway, so, yes. So I was always teething and like, you know what I mean? Even, you know, chocolate biscuits out the cupboard and then I would deny it, you know what I mean? Or I'd, I'd open the packet, you know what I mean? This is when I'm at home with my mum. I'd open the packet, try and nick some biscuit out of there and then close the packet, you know what I mean? Like my mum's <laughs> stupid, like she's not going to notice. And then just totally deny it was me, you yeah. know what I mean? Anyway, one day she said to me, so she goes, um, this, is, this is later on, so I've probably gone to visit her, so I'm in care. Mm. But I've gone to visit her because I remember I was a sort of middle teenager. She goes, right. So she goes, and she's deadly serious. Mm. And she's going, so you know um, how you're always getting into trouble. How you can't stop teeth. Remember that time when you did teeth that money out my purse? Remember? You know what I mean? And she's telling me about all the time. So she goes, well, the thing is, so she goes, you know your dirty stepfather, you know mm. what I mean, her... Um, her husband, who she had for a couple of years, who I was mm -hmm. talking about earlier, mm -hmm. Daddy London. So she goes, well, 
his people used to live in the countryside, in the, sorry, in the mountains, in Jamaica. Mm. And it's Obia they deal with. Mm-hmm. And when they find out that her and him was having troubles, they sent her some food or something. They sent some food, some sweets or something mm. to England to my mum. But they'd done some kind of obia spell on it so that she would have downfall all her life. Okay. But because I was such a teething, teething child, she must have put the sutton in the fridge and then I teeth it and denied it and eaten it all. And that is why you're getting so much trouble, son. <laughs> so it's not your fault, you know. But if you go to God, if you go to God, he will clean you. I don't, I don't even know if I should be laughing at that story, but it <laughs> makes me laugh. But I like it, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not down to me. It's not my yeah. fault. A, cu- a curse has been put on me. Mm. And it does make me wonder. And then you go back to what you were saying about, because, you know, you can't get to my age without a certain amount of, and I'm a writer as well, you know what I mean? So you can't get to my age without a, a certain amount of self-reflection, you know what I mean? Mm. And, you know, it is almost like it's a curse that is put on me, which I haven't got control of, but mm. curses can come in other ways. It doesn't have to come through somebody put some obi on some food, you know what I mean? Yeah. You be, can be cursed by your childhood, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's what you're saying about the thing. And even though I... I'm in this denial that, oh, bloody hell, you know what I mean? Children, we suffer at school. We suffer when we're growing up and all the rest of it. It's one of the things, you know what I mean? Mm. But those things do have an effect, you know what I mean? There's no doubt about it. You know, know, I've got, uh, between me and you, don't tell anyone, but Mm. I've got, you know, little bits of violence and all that on my record. Mm. And I remember when I first started getting violent. I remember it very clearly, you know Mm. what I mean? Um, When I was in the home... The boys, you know what I mean, Mark Hartley and uh, God, <laughs> Keith Caffre, a few other people, what mm-hmm. they used to do, right? They used to grab me, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, this only happened on a couple of occasions before man had to step up. Mm-hmm. They grabbed me, hold me down, pull down their pants. I'm talking bare arsehole on my face, you know what I mean? Wow. And I'm like 12 and I'm not strong enough to fight these little... Fuckers off me, excuse my language. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you Are know, these kids the same age as you? Yeah, well, they're older than me. They're slightly older, mm. or they're, you know, me. There's more of them. And then, you know, and then I think, you know, how my mum, my mum was a nutter, you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, I love my mum. I'm going to Jamaica in January to go and look after her for a few months. But she was a nutter because mm. she was under a lot of stress mm. living in the UK, you know what I mean, with four kids, as she used to say, four little no daddy bastard children, you mm. know what I mean? Four little no daddy picnic. And she used to beat the granny out of me, you know mm. what I mean? And I'm in no doubt that those things were having an effect. And as I was saying, like, when I first started deciding to get flying for myself, you know what I mean? I remember once my next-door neighbours, because um, when my mum used to give me licks, I used to just stand there and just take it because... Mm. Running never came into my head. Mm. It never occurred to me to leg it from my mum, you know what I mean? I used to just stand there and take the licks. Mm. And then one day, Trevor, my next-door neighbour, said, why don't you run when she does that? And then I realised, and then I realised I could run. Mm. Then I realised I could block and defend myself. And mm. then um, when I was at school, and I used to get rushed, you know what I mean? And I had, a, I had trouble with this one particular geezer who had... You know what I mean? His friends and they used to box me in my head and all the rest of it. And I took a hammer to school. And it's like, um, you know, it's when you are, 
you know, it's something that I've said in my head for years. It's not something I believe so much now, but it's something I've said in my year, head for years that for some people, violence is the only language they understand. You know what I mean? They'll take liberties all day long. You can write them a letter telling them how this is affecting you. Put it, I don't know, put it in poetry. You know what I mean? Get your friends to talk to them. You know what I mean? Have a thing, and they are still taking liberties. Mm. But you know what I mean? One box in the head and they soon stop. One punch in the mouth, as Tyson says, you know, the whole thing changes. Mm. And then when you sort of imbibe yourself in that kind of mentality, you know what I mean? And I'm not talking about going around and beating everybody up and all the rest of it, but having that, you know what I mean? I'm going to put do the initial, don't, you know, that don't F with me attitude. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I will kick off. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what I'm saying, Pablo, is that they're the things. I can't remember your original question. Why are you letting me ramble? No. Don't let me ramble. This is that you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that that behavior, it can be hard to shake off, especially if that's the behavior that has gotten through so far. You know what I mean? Mm. And look at me, big old dirty 50, and I'm still alive and that. You know what mm. I mean? And that is the behavior that kind of saved me, but now it's becoming problematic. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. a big old man, still dirty 50, and can sort of end up in jail for having a fight with some mm. motorist or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, being being a child and you know going through certain things, you 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 develop defense mechanisms, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. the defense mechanisms um, might serve you momentarily, and if and in fact if they serve you momentarily, chances are you're going to keep doing them, um, but then like you said, you get to a certain age and you still draw for those defense mechanisms and then coping mechanisms, yeah. and, and now they start to work against you. So that's that's what I really get from it when when you say that. But the tr the truth is, I mean, you've spoken about various traumas. Tra trauma seems to be a, a running theme from from birth thus far in 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 the story that you're 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 portraying now. You know, there's a, been a lot well, of trauma. Well, it definitely it affected my sister. So my sister suffers from. You know what I mean? So we both got taken out at the same time, you know? Like, oh, you know that book, sorry to cut you, but you're, you're just choking me off. That um, book, you know what I mean? How the how the West Indian child was made educationally subnormal, you know what I mean? And there's a little bit of research in there. And I remember it very clearly because my sister was one of those girls who would draw herself mm. as a white person. Mm. She would draw herself with blonde hair, blue eyes, and her way, because this is how we found out we were black, yeah? So this was a white woman who we were living with, and then my mum, my real mum, came and kidnapped us, mm. and we were crying in the room, and then she said to us, why are you crying? I said, because we want to go home. We want to go home to our mum. And she said, who's your mum? And we said, the lady, that's our mum. So she goes, that's not your mum. Mm. So I said, yes, it is our mum. You can ask our big brother. You can ask anyone. So she goes, no, that's not your mum, because your, um, your skin is black, like mine. I'm your mum. And I remember just staring at her thinking, that is the truth. She's not lying. I don't like this, but I know she's not lying. This made sense to me. Mm. But my sister, who's a year younger than me, didn't accept it. Mm. So her way of not accepting it was her way of getting around it was just to refuse to accept that she was black. Mm. It was simple as that. I could always make her cry. God bless her, Angela. I haven't seen her for years, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I could always make her cry by just saying to her... That she's black. Because I, mean, I was a little mean, I was a bit of a mean brother. Mm. I'd say, you're black, you're black you are, and it would make her cry, you know what wow. I mean? So, you know, and 
you know, going through that, that was a that was a traumatic thing for my sister. So it affected her. And then I remember one time we was both on the on the bus and um we were talking, right, and my sister was exhibiting. So this is we're in our late teens now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm come out I've come out of care or I'm about to come out of care. And I'm on the, I'm on the bus with my sister and I'm talking about her behaviour because she's acting a bit weird, you know mm. what I mean? And, you know, I'm thinking mental illness is that person's responsibility and behave yourself, you know what I mean? You know, fix up type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, what's the matter with you? Why are you acting weird? Why are you talking like that and carrying on weird? And I'm trying to get my sister to fix up. And she said, it's affected you as well, you know? And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't know what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And this is my sister who must have been 15 at the at time. Very wise. So she goes, it's affected you as well. So I said, what do you mean it's affected you? So she goes, all the thing with mum, can't you remember the white nanny? Because we used to call uh, the other mum who we thought was our mum, the white nanny. Mm. And so she goes, it's affected you as well. So I said, what are you talking about? It's affected me. Then she goes, look at you. So she goes, you never, and this is when she was 15. Mm. She goes, you are never out of trouble. So she goes, out of in our school, so she goes, you're the only one who's constantly going to court. So she goes, there's no one else in the school going to court. So she goes, you're always in trouble, you know what I mean? You're always thieving and that. And it kind of, I dismissed at the time, but it always kind of stayed with me, you know what I mean? Mm. That, yeah, our behaviour was a result of what was going on when we was growing up. But I still say we have agency. I knew when I was shoplifting that I shouldn't be doing that, you know what yeah. I mean? I was taking the risk. Yeah, and and what you what you're talking about really is you're talking about the stuff that you consciously know, but what what you what you can't speak on is what you don't know, you know. There's stuff that went on, and there was there, there was things that went on that you didn't know, you know. It reminds me of um, there's a thing the Jahari's window where it talks about um, unknown knowns and uh, you know and. Yeah, just things, there's different quadrants in it. I won't go into it all now, but basically there's things that you don't know that you don't know. So that whole side of things is what you can't speak on because you don't know what you don't know, you know? Well, are you talking about, like, the psychological effects of, um, you know what I mean, what your experiences growing up can have on you? Yeah, yeah, more so there's things that you just don't know. I mean, with all of us, there's a, there's parts of us that we just, there's stuff that we don't know that we don't know. So there's things about yourself that you know. Like you know you elicit certain behaviours and you, you know you make a choice in that and whatnot. But there's certain things that we do as human beings that we, we don't know, that we, you know, that we don't know. So it's hard. You can't fix those things. It's, it's going to take somebody. Because you don't external. know why you're doing them. You're, yeah. you, you know. You know. There's this saying that I heard once. They said that um, um, humans are. We're not. We're not rational beings. Mm. We we are rationalizing beings. So half the time we don't know why we do what we're doing, but we'll make up reasons for it afterwards. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean, for we'll sure. we'll try and find reasons that fit. But it seems like we are all sort of not so more victims but at the call of our experiences and our mind grooves and whatever's mm. gone on uh, imprinting yeah yeah well i mean look at the end of the day as i said before you have gone through, i mean i don't think we'll be able to have a podcast long enough to go through all the stuff you went through that is 
could be deemed as traumatic. But that, just hearing that about your, you know, your sister and the first time you found out you was black, you know, that is enough to, you know, that's going to cause people problems. That's going to cause problems and, and those problems are going to play out. And, and not to mention all the other stuff that's on top of all the other stuff. So, so yeah, so, um, so moving forward, though, um, I mean, that, ha, have you ever had to deal with um, trauma like bereavement and, and stuff like that? Has that ever been a no, part of your, so, um, your youth? I'm, I'm lucky that the only... You know, um, there's been there's been a couple during the COVID, you know, but mm. nothing has really slain me. But that, mm. no, I, I, it's not something. It's not part of my. It's thing, not been no. part of your thing. Well, no. Okay. So you know, I feel bereaved. You know, it's weird that you ask that because that feeling can come in many ways. You know, because mm. you know you can have death of relationships which you grieve about for ages and that, and that can feel like a bereavement. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And like I think about. It's like a counselling session, isn't it? I remember the times <laughs> when my missus took away my children mm-hmm. and that messed up my head, man, and I still feel a bereavement, even though I talk to them on the phone. But anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, bereave- bereavement is about loss, so it doesn't have to yeah. be somebody that passed away. But mm-hmm. but yeah, so, all right. So, um, so moving forward, where do you stand in regards to faith? Like, what do you believe in? In regards to faith? Mm. Like um, God and all that. Well, yeah, could be. I mean, is that what, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, there is something to be said. So there's two things going on here, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, there is something to be said about having a belief in something, having faith in something. You know, something which you may not have the, you might, you might not have the the knowledge to explain, the education to explain, or just uh, the logic. You just can't explain it. You're just not at a level or you haven't found anyone at a level. But you've got faith in it, and it could be anything. It could be your faith in, I don't know, stamp collecting. You think that that is is going to bring the joy to your life. Mm. So there's something to be said about, that was a lame... um, an example, stamp collecting, but there's something to be said about having a faith and a belief in something. Mm. Now, having a belief in a force or energy that is somehow in control, that there's a that there's a pattern to things, that things are going to be kind of sorted at the end, that this isn't all there is to it. I believe that. I very much believe that. I believe that there is something more to my thoughts and my experience, mm. I believe that there's something outside of us. Um, I, I every now and then hear the calling myself. You know what I mean? I've written poems about it. Um, I lack discipline to be going to church every minute or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean, um, even to pray every day. But something happens when I, when I. You know, when I think of Jesus, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be honest and I admit it, Jesus, even though I've watched a bloody thousand YouTube videos which will tell me that Jesus does not exist, that it's just some, you know what I mean, nonsense and all the rest of it. And very a lot of it makes sense, you know what I mean? Mm. And this is where belief and faith comes in, isn't it? This is where belief comes in. This is where you listen to something other than your intellect. That you're even knowing, even knowing that 
you know what I mean? We are all people who get thoughts from, I don't know, thoughts from our childhood which kind of imprint us, thoughts from our education, thoughts from everything. Even knowing that and thinking, okay, so if it's not an intellectual, logical, rational way of thinking, if you cannot rationalise it and logicalise it and that, if you can't do that to it, then it must be nonsense I'm not with that idea because sometimes you have that instinct. Sometimes you have your feelings, you know what I mean? And then you balance that against, hold on, you know what I mean? This might be some kind of imprinting. This might be some kind of wanting to save myself. This might be some kind of looking for, uh, you know what I mean, father kind of thing. Even with that, and you look at that, I'm still left with this vibe that there's something there. And I put these things to the test as well, without wanting to sound all mystical and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? Um, you know, as I've said, I've been in jail many times, I've been on my mum many times, and it's a horrible place, you don't want to be there, you know what I mean? And um, I do tend to pray when I'm in jail, you know what I mean? Now, that might be a bit hypocritical that I don't do it as much when I'm out, I'm only doing it when I'm in trouble. But Jesus says, come whenever, you know what I mean? No matter, come, we're not going to kick you out, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I have definitely felt the energy. I've definitely felt, um, yeah, I felt the love. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. You've, you've recently had an experience with the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, how many, how many times, in fact, before we even go to that, how many times do you think you've been, had encounters with the criminal justice system? So I've got, um, well over 50. You know, I've got to be careful how I talk about this, right? It mm. is, um, I, I want to make it very clear as I talk about this because I hear people talking about, you know what I mean, how much bird they've done, you know what I mean, how much previous they've got, you know what I mean, what, the, what it entails and all the rest of it, you mm. know what I mean? Um, Pablo, it's pathetic. Mm -hmm. I talk about this, and I'll talk about it because I'm going to be open in that, but it's pathetic. It mm -hmm. is pathetic, you know what I mean? I, I talk about it, and I kind of try and make myself once removed. I'm trying to objectify like I'm talking about someone else, but it is pathetic, you know what I mean? You know, I'm in control of a lot of this, so regardless of what happened, right? So I've got well over 50 um, previous convictions, must be close to 60. Mm -hmm. I've been involved in everything from bloody, you know what I mean, uh, shoplifting to bloody serious offensive weapons, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I've done robberies, I've, you know what I mean? It, it is ridiculous how much times I go in jail, you know what yeah. I mean? For petty, the majority of it, you can be sure, it's petty stuff, it's petty stuff. And also, when you've got a record, you're more likely to get, get charged, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, you know, someone else probably would get a caution or not even get charged or anything, you know what I mean? Mm. Like me, because I've got a record, I will get charged and I will get locked up, you know what I mean? So, mm. um, okay. it's been an ongoing thing, which is, you know, at one time, it was a bit of a novelty, you know what I mean? I'm coming out of detention, and I've done tons of press-ups and all that, you know what I mean? Or I've done a three-year sentence here or two-year sentence there. But now it's tiring, and I look back on my life, and it's it's crap, it's pathetic, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this young lady at the moment, and she says, and it's very clear, pathetic. It is pathetic. It's nothing to... There's. It's boring. You see, you see prison, yeah? Mm -hmm. Prison is freaking boring 
boring. If anybody thinks, oh, they want the excitement of going to jail, you know what I mean? It's either, it's a mixture of boringness or violence. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going we're to get to that part for but sure. But anyway, you, the question you asked me, well, what was my last thing? I got into some stupid altercation with an ambulance man. You, you see, like, even when you're trying to do something good, you know what I mean? So I'll tell this story really quick. There's a guy, mm-hmm. he's lying on the street. I'm walking with my girl. He's lying on the street. I think he's unconscious, you know what I mean? I go and check him out. He's unconscious, but he's breathing. I call an ambulance. When the ambulance man come, this guy has got up and he's, he's not proper conscious, but he's wandering around in the road and the ambulance man come run his mouth at me, you know what I mean? And um, I sorted it, you know what I mean? Which mm. I shouldn't have done. And I ended up getting, you know what I mean, 16 weeks locked up in the middle of lockdown in the corona. And oh my gosh, it was murder. Yeah, was, I, I, it, I could imagine. It, um, it was not a happy time. Yeah, so, so that's what I want to... I mean, that experience is... It's an unfortunate experience for, you know, the victim and for yourself, you know, ultimately. So no one really won in that scenario. Um, but to be in prison um, during, I mean, be, to be in prison at the best of times is, is not good. But to be in that it, during this corona pandemic um, has got to be challenging. So that's, that's something I want to kind of explore with you, this particular experience. So... And, and kind of, you know, obviously there's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end of that whole thing from, you know, you coming back home. So um, I want to start from the beginning because obviously, you know, for the people out there that have illusions of what prison's like and what the process is like and, and you know, and maybe they've heard stories from friends that have been to prison who maybe glamorise it, you know, and hopefully by having this kind of conversation it gives people a realistic look at what it is the whole process you know so if we start from from um from court from from court from you them saying we found you guilty you're in the (coughs) and you know what happens once they say we found you guilty and we're giving um, you the sentence yeah so i i I ended up pleading guilty. Okay. You know, so um, uh, at the time I was just down to, I was just going to go and see my daughters up in Sheffield and I got a call from my neighbour saying, yeah, Errol, please write your door. They're banging off the door. I said, so it's cool. I'm going to Sheffield. I'll check it when I come back. They said, no, it looks like they're going to kick off the door, man. You need to come back. So I came back Hmm. and they arrested me and then um, I went to Brixton police station and then they put the charges to me um and then the next morning they didn't give me bail so the next morning i went to court by video link up mm. and um from I from the station Croyd- yeah from so it's Croydon it's Croydon court well it's a video link up you know mm-hmm. what I mean? and um there's a magistrate court there i represented myself because as you can see i can more easily talk to myself and lawyers legal aid lawyers they do my head in. They they just they're just there for the dosh. They they don't know what they're doing half the time. And I've got a criminal career. I shouldn't call it a career, but you know what I mean. I've got mm-hmm. I've, I've been involved in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. um, since the seventies, so I know the system better than them. So I represented myself. I pleaded guilty, put in my mitigation, telling them that I was trying to be a good Samaritan at the time, but I shouldn't have acted like that with the ambulance driver. And they said they have they have to lock me up because. Um, 
it's a new charge, you know what I mean? Assault on emergency worker and that, and you know what I mean? They're angels, apparently, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can, they can do what they... But anyway, I'm trying mm-hmm. to make excuses. They can run their mouth, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But as soon as you... But anyway, so I ended up getting 16 weeks, and I was going to Thameside, and I was happy to go to Thameside. So, so, so hang on, before, before you get to get into Thameside, so um, you've, you've gone, you've pleaded guilty, they've said they have to lock you up. So the process from you being... So you was on video link at that time from the police yeah. station, yeah. So they've, they've given you your sentence at 16 weeks. So what's the process from there? The video link has finished. What happens next? So, so, so the video link has happened in the morning. Now, remember, you've slept all night in the cell on the thin blue mattress, you know what I mean? And I don't know, you know what I mean? I guess when you're young, you can kind of take it. Well, as you get older, man, my hip... My shoulder, you know what I mean? I need extra cushions, so I'm not feeling too good anyway. You just, I just want to get this over with, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So they pull you into the court thing. You've got, you know what I mean, one copper sitting next to you. And you've got the camera on you. you. You know, you don't feel right. There's a bit of a delay when you speak, you know what I mean? You know, like, all this talking on Zoom and mm. the rest of it. It's not the same as thing, but anyway, I represent myself. They... So he, they went out. It took them 20 minutes to decide what they was going to do. And they said, no, because of my previous, because of violence before and this and that and this and that, mm. they're going to lock me up and mm. because it's this new charge. Mm. So then it's morning now, yeah? So just so to be clear they, as well, because, sorry, I'm just, go, go. for your sake, I think, I think it's worth, because I, I know some of the stories, so I think it's worth, because when you say assault, I mean, assault is assault and it's something you shouldn't have done. You recognise that. But do you mind saying what kind of assault it was just so that... Yeah, people... I do because I'm, okay. I'm, I'm embarrassed and humiliated by the kind of assault that I've done. You know, I'd rather lie. Can I just say that I punched just... the ambulance worker? <laughs> Can I just say that? I'd rather say I slapped the ambulance driver for running his mouth at me and telling me that I'm wasting his time and shouting at me like I'm his, mm. like I'm his wife, you know what I mean? Um, how, how, I'd rather stay, I punched him, but no, I didn't. I spat at him, I spat in his face. That was the assault. Yeah, and you, you know, what, and I can, yeah. I, I, I can understand from, a, from an ego point of view that you, you know, don't want to really acknowledge that actually I, in your mind, because you, I suppose what you're really saying is, I only spat in his face. No, no, I'm not saying that. You see, this is, you see, all right, Pablo, this is where you're twisting things and putting it round, right? Because I I said to you right at the beginning, I'd much rather say that I punched him in the mouth than spat in his face, right? I'm not proud that I spat in his face. Mm. I think it's a bitch move to spit in someone's face, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, and and the only reason I'd done that was because, I I tell you what, right, I didn't want to hit him. Number one, I'd already was on a suspended sentence for mm. punching someone, you know what I mean? Number two, I'd hurt my hand doing flipping yoga, so my hand was not right, you know what I mean? If it wasn't for that, I would have slapped him. But as it was, I spat at him, you know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying this, I spat at him for my thing. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm only, I only spat at him and that I'm trying to lessen it or anything, you know what I mean? Fair enough. As I said, Fair I'd rather say, plus this was in the middle of COVID. It was a disgusting wanker of an act to do. Mm. It's in the middle of COVID and I should know better, you know what I mean? Yeah. I should know better. If I was talking to my cousin or someone else my age, I'd say, look at you, 
you're a big old man in your 50 and you're gobbing at an ambulance driver just because you can't take what he's saying. You know what I mean? Why mm. didn't you just walk away? Not everybody is on this planet to say words so that you can feel comfortable. Every now and then, someone's going to say words that you might find uncomfortable. You cannot spit mm. or beat up everybody. You're big enough now to just think, okay, I don't mm. agree with that. I walk the F away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yes, sorry. No, no, that's, that's fine. I mean, how... how, how do you feel about the situation? I mean, now it's, it's it's done. You know, you served your time. In regards to that that ambulance worker, who, I mean, I, I mean, if I put myself in the ambulance worker's shoes for a second, even if you do, if you think about it, the the role that they play in, and the fact that we are in COVID times as well, because I, I could imagine. Now I'm thinking of it. Yeah, you, you know, have... you know, the thing is, yes, okay, mm. so. You got this ambulance driver, and yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm one of them people at eight o'clock. You know what I mean, we're during the first lockdown at eight o'clock. I'm on my balcony at my front door, clapping till my hands are numb for the NHS workers. And yeah, I admire the work they're doing, and they're on the front line and that. But have fucking manners and respect. You know what I mean? You don't know me from Adam. You know what I mean? Um, as my girl was saying at the time so she said he only done that because of the way he was dressed because I was dressed scruffy I was had a tracksuit on mm. I mean a bit of mashup trainers I was dressed scruffily and when I'm saying to this guy yes it was me who called the ambulance it's this guy look at him he's walking into the road you need to check him out you know what I mean mm. he's running his mouth at me telling me about I'm wasting his time and who am I you know what I mean and, you know what I mean you know, you know, talking to me like he's rearing up at me, like I'm outside some pub. So, I, you know, I should not have done that, right? I'm not saying he deserved that. I shouldn't have done that, you know what I mean? But there is always provocation, you know what I mean? Mm. You're dealing with a member of the public. Be polite, otherwise there's repercussions. Mm. I'm just, it was just unfortunate that I was the person who decided to, re, to repercuss mm. on the man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, cool. I know that sounds like a lot of excuses, but there's no smoke without fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if I if, if a couple of ambulance people came and they were all polite and that with me, and I, they're saying, "Oh yeah, but he seems okay now," and I say, "I swear down." Two minutes ago, this guy was Sparko on the floor. You know what I mean? I didn't even know where sure where he's breathing and all that. You know what I mean? And if they're polite with me, why the hell would I want to attack them? Why the hell would there be an altercation? Mm. There wouldn't be one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is what I said to the judge as well. I said, there's no way that I would have just gone up to ambulance drivers, spat in his face for absolutely no mm. reason. Obviously, there's something that happened. Mm. But I do totally accept that this is unacceptable behaviour and that there's other ways to deal with these things. Yeah. One of them is just to say, fuck you don't, and just walk away. Yeah. You know I mean, walk away and no violence. Mm. I mean, I'm trying to weed, away, weed the violence out of my life yeah. in thought and action. Okay. So, all right. So, moving forward then. So, you've been... You've been, you've, you've uh, represented yourself. Um, they've said they've oh, got yeah, to give so, your custodian. Yeah. So then they the put me, then, Go on. Then they take me to the cell, yeah? Mm. So they take me back to the cell. Mm. They say, the van will be along in a minute. And I say, where am I going? They say, oh, probably Thameside. I say, oh, wicked. Because I've done Thameside before. And Thameside <coughs> is a private prison. <coughs> and you have a phone in the cell. So you have the phones in the cell. The shower is in the cell. And it's kind of a bit more easygoing, or so it was, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you call the screws by their first name, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's easy, more easygoing. You're locked up. But when I got there this time, so before... Before I you got there, there, before you got there, tell, yeah. tell, tell us about the, the journey there. 
What's okay, the, so you go in the like? you go in the sweat box when the whole time I'm in there, I'm thinking, I wonder if they wiped this down since the last person's been in there because there's COVID going on. You mm. know what I mean? What's um, this? Describe describe the sweat box because I mean, unless people get convicted or shipped around, they're not going to ever see the inside of one of those. So okay, so um, um, let let me just ask you now, right? So yeah, I can easily describe the sweat box. You know what I mean? But my description of the sweat box is not going to um, put people off committing crimes because of the description of the sweat box. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, like, you see the thing is, like, Pablo, right? As humans, we are very adaptable. We can adapt to any situation. We can adapt to eating rice twice a day and living in a hut with no sunlight. You know that we can mm. adapt for, to that situation for years. We can adapt to anything. So a 20-minute ride in a sweatbox, you can adapt to it. I've been in a sweatbox millions of times. It's no big deal. But no, it is basically a box. It is just a van with doors down each side. They're tiny little miniature cells which you can't stand up in. You literally sit in there. You go in there. As you go in, they lock the door and then they put a chain on it. Then they open the door. Then um. Because before you get in there, they've handcuffed you. They so let you go you toilet before you have to put your you handcuffs go. out. You have to put your handcuffs, at your arms out, so they can take the handcuffs off. Because it would be really impossible to sit in that sweat box while you're handcuffed. Right. However, having said that, I have sat in a sweat box when I was handcuffed and back in the day when I used to battle them. So, um, so if you need to go you know, toilet, do you go toilet before or you hold it? How does that work? Yeah, if you want to go toilet, you say to them you want to go toilet beforehand. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to go toilet while you're on there. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's not big. You can ask them for water. You know what I mean? You know, these, and it's just a plastic hard thing. You know what I mean? If they take a hard left or a hard right, it's really hard on the shoulders. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> right. So it's, it's just a cramp box. Okay. Anyway, you're in there for 20 minutes and then you get to the reception in the prison and that's when the boredom starts, you know what I mean? So you you walk around some post to make sure you ain't got no daggers on you. You sit on some other thing to make sure that you haven't got phone or drugs drugs up your ass. you know what I mean? Mm. You are you are strip searched, you strip naked, you lift up your bollocks, you turn round, you, you know what I mean? You show them the soles of your feet. They take away half of your clothes. They'll take it away for any excuse, you know what I mean? Because it's black, because it's got a hood on it and that. Mm. And then they'll give you some prison clothes, um, some underpants and that. Nowadays, they give you new underpants, but in the old days, you would just get the old underpants. You get your stuff and then you sit in a room and you wait and you wait and you wait and you are in there for hours and you see people getting processed. Then you see the doctor, because, you know what I mean, they've got to see if anything's wrong with you. Then they put you in a cell. You know what I mean? You've got to remember, most people in jail, and I'm telling you this for a fact, I know this from someone who's now, I'm going to be 57 next week. I've been going to jail since I was 14. Large proportion, I'd say half percent of the people who go to jail got something wrong with them. In regards to, you know, you know, we've all got something wrong with mm. us in the yeah. general population, but people in jail got something wrong with them in regards to that. That is a f- anger. That, mm. In regards to learning difficulties, in regards to communication, mm. in regards to maybe slightly on the autistic spectrum. Not all of them, but a heavy proportions. In regards to drug abuse, you know what I mean? Got some childhood dramas they're dealing with, whatever, you know mm. what I mean? 
and uh, and like many people who's got all that going on, they've dealt with drugs too in order to handle it. You know what I mean? So one of my biggest things is like when I go to jail, they're going to put me in with someone who's coming off gear. You know what I mean? Coming off class A, and that is a big thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Because um, they're going to drive you mad. You know? Mm. Um, you know, I mean, so, sorry, just to touch on that, because yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I read you a paper. I read a paper um, not too long ago that spoke about um, they did a, a study on on prisoners and it, it proved that there's a high proportion of prisoners that have personality disorders. So yeah. that that kind of feeds into exactly what you're saying, you know. Um, and this and, and is the where truth you is, know... the truth is, yeah, as they know that um, there are, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, if we know that, there's things that we can do before people end up in prison. Because if, if that's what's happening, if we're, we're looking at people that have disorders that they, you know, they didn't, you know, they, they have these disorders, they didn't choose to have them. But by default, because they're going to behave a certain way, they're going to react, they're going to perceive things in a certain way, they're going to end up in prison off of the back of that. Hence why, you know, they, they, there's a high proportion of them in there. And it's not something that starts when they're in prison, it's started outside. So, so yeah, there's definitely something with that. Hmm. You know, so, um, and this is where I talk about the violence. Now, I'm not saying that, well, you know, in the older prisons, there isn't violence every minute. But in the younger prisons, there's violence every minute. And it's because, you know, I'm not saying they're all nutters in jail, but when you, when people learn to deal with any kind of disagreement in the form of violence or threats, there is that certain atmosphere, you know what I mean? There's that thing that, you know what I mean? It's always there. Then you realise that you have to be like that as well, you know what mm. I mean? You have to be, you know what I mean, um, be prepared to thump somebody down and all the rest of it. And I I don't think that's healthy behaviour. So I'm not going to say it's mental behaviour, but it's not healthy. Mm. I look at my life now and I look back at certain things, well, I think, well, there's no need for me to have really have done that. You know what I mean? There's, mm. there's, there's other ways that I could have dealt with situations where I could look back at it and feel more dignified. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, nowadays when I find myself I, if I in a situation and I see something happen to someone, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on road or whatever, and I think, gosh, look how, look how chilled that person remained. They kept their calm, they kept their dignity, they didn't start shouting off in the street or anything, they didn't threaten anyone. Mm. They, you know what I mean, they stated their discontent with the situation and kept it moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've got stuff going on in their life which doesn't mean they're going to get dragged down into petty petty nonsense that when you look back at, at your life you think why did I let that take up a big portion of my energy mm, mm. so so going back to uh, the processing part because I think that, that was where you, yeah, you, know, you so said the pro you, being you, processed and the boredom of just sitting there and waiting and waiting what, what, what happens next so you're, you're waiting, you're waiting for them to move you to the cell now remember you've been in the you know what I mean, you've been in the cells you know, all night, mm. you know, the, the police cells. Mm. Then you've been traveling in this van, which, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You have to tense your body so you don't fall all over the place. Then you go to this place, you've asked tons of questions, you've got your bag, and then you are just sitting there waiting. You could wait there two, three hours, you know what I mean? Mm. Then you finally have to go to your And this cell. is with multiple people, not, not this, singular. Yeah, yeah, there'll yeah. be loads of people there, you mm. know what I mean? Then you... Um, you're allocated a cell. So you walk with a screw onto whatever wing 
and you are either banged up with whoever other people who you've come in with who's come at the same time or you might get banged up with somebody who's already in the cell you know so, what I mean? so what was um, your experience on this one so on this one i absolutely hated it so um number one i don't watch television so on the out i don't watch tv i might watch the odd thing on iplayer the odd youtube video but i'm not a tv watcher mm-hmm. in the prison there's a tv in every single cell mm. and what are people going to do to escape they're mm. going to watch TV. So they're watching nonsense on TV, which they've never usually watched. But, you know, TV is designed to draw you in. Next thing you know, you're watching, you know, back-to-back episodes of Judge Judy and um, stuff like that, you know. So I was in this cell with this um, one geezer who came in the same time as me, who got 16 weeks. He records for shoplifting, but the way he was telling me this story, I weren't really buying it. But anyway, mm-hmm. I was banged up with him for... Um, a while and um he had he had attitudes and behavior which was not conducive with sharing a cell with somebody for 23 hours a day so remember we're banged up 23 hours a day literally 23 and a half hours a day and because of covid which i call coc because of covid this is an excuse for people not to work this is an excuse for people not to do things which they, they should do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, because of COVID, no visits, no library, no church, no association. Association is like when they let you out in the evenings or sometimes during the day just to associate, to play pool. Literally nothing. You are banged up 23 hours a day with the TV on all day. In the evenings, you're watching films one after the other, and it's going to be action films because we're all bloody dumbheads, aren't we? You know what I mean? Not interested in a nice, intelligent documentary. It's got to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know what I mean? So, you know, by the time um, when you can talk your cellmate into turning off the TV, because remember, lots of these guys, they need the TV on in order to fall asleep. Mm. They can't fall asleep. They're scared of their own silence, you know what I mean? So if you can do that, then your head is just echoing with all this machine gun fire and explosions and you know what I mean? Skidding cars because you've just watched back-to-back action movies or movies or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm. Now, you may feel to yourself, oh, no, that doesn't sound too bad, just sitting in the cell all day watching TV. It's not. It, it, it's murder, you know what I mean? You have to navigate that space with someone else. They can't move at the same time as you're moving, you know what I mean? Because the cell's too bloody small, you know what I mean? Mm. You are literally shitting with your head two feet away from someone who's just watching TV, you know what I mean? What was your, you know, what was your, what was your first, you know, your, like you said, going to the toilet, you know, doing the number two? What was that Well, well you've got to like? remember, you've got to remember that I've been in jail mm. many times. So to me, I can just sit there and shit, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I say to the person, I need to have a dump, yeah? Because mm. long ago have I got over... Uh, long ago have I got over being ashamed of the fact that um, I'm a human being who needs to shit. <laughs> now, I know we are all scared of that, you know what I mean? And the fact that we need to fart. This is one thing that prison takes away all them stupid little thoughts, you know what I mean? Mm. That's one of the things. You know what I mean? We're scared to fart. We're scared to admit that we need to shit, you know what I mean? We buy toilet paper, we hide it so people don't see it, you know what I mean? Us humans, we're scared of this fact that this thing that we do every day, mm. that we should be doing every day, mm. <laughs> at least once a day. Mm. But yes, um, you know, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean? I'd be bagged up with people who did not take a shit for a whole week, 
you know what I mean? Wow. Because they, could just, they just cannot crap in front of another person, you know mm. what I mean? But I've got over that because I, I'm, I'm institutionalised, you know what I mean? It's not mm. a problem to me. I say to the cellmate, yo, I need to have a dump, yeah? And I say, what, right now? And I say, yeah, I need to have a shit, yeah, brother? I mean, so open that little crack of window. Remember, the windows don't open. You've just got vents which you can slightly open. Mm. Um, you know, during the summer and that, they had fans and all that in terms of... Yeah, so you have to navigate this place with somebody else. Somebody who might talk when you're thinking or you might be talking, interrupt them. You know, Someone who's talking to you like, I don't know, you know what I mean? They're like how maybe how they talk to their girl disrespectfully or their mother and that, you know mm. what I mean? You've got to, and it's, let me tell you, you can have your best friend. You'd be bagged up with them for 23 and a half hours a day, you're going to kill them. Or the person might snore or talk in their sleep or, you know what I mean? Mm. Going through their, whatever issues they've got, their tissues, and you've got to be that. And it's great when you can have a laugh with someone and all the rest of it, mm. but you're not having laughs all the time, you know what I mean? And then the cells, just shut all the time, you know what I mean? So, the, you know, the screw will open the door, kicking, literally kicking a roll of toilet paper and shut the door again. Mm. So, anyway, I'll tell you a little story. So I'm banged up with this guy. And, um, you know what I mean? I've had to say things to him a few times. So he's kind of, um, he's like a French African. I mm. think he's French Congolese, but he lives in London. He's a proper road man. Be stabbed three times, you know what I mean? Um be robbed of his jewellery, rob people, you know what I mean, could do 50 press-ups in the, you know, triangle press-ups, you know what I mean? Mm. Reckons he's a mixed martial artist, you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm sharing the cell with this guy, he's 28, we do the press-ups every now and then, we do press-ups in the adverts, and now we're getting them all right, but there's certain things which bother me, you know what I mean, like we'll be watching TV, We'll both be watching, and he'll just reach over and turn over the TV without saying that to me, without <laughs> asking me, are you watching this or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, first couple of days, you put up with it, you know what I mean? He has a piss, and it, there's drips of wee urine on the side of the toilet, which he hasn't wiped. <laughs> just certain mm. little behaviours which kind of do your head in, you know mm. what I mean? You know, like, for instance, you've witnessed him picking his nose, you know what I mean? Then when the food comes, because they bring the food to the door, Mm. You take it. And then he's handling your food, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you say to him, bro, don't be picky. I say, hey, use some tissue to pick your nose, bro. And then, you know what I mean? He's looking at you at the corner of your his mm. eye like you've done him something wrong, you know what mm. I mean? When all you've literally said to him, he's looking at you like you're his dad who he doesn't get on with. You, mm. know? <laughs> you yeah. know, this type of thing, you know what I mean? And then I remember one day... Um, there's a few, I had to say to this guy, listen, you see how we're operating in the cell? So we've been in the cell now, three weeks together. How you're operating in the cell? I said, listen, we can't operate like this. You know what I mean? I said that you can't be just um, freaking going into the shower four o'clock in the morning and just blasting on the shower. You know what I mean? Without mm. saying that to me and that, you know what I mean? You, you know, that's going to keep me up. You know, certain little things, mm. um, you know, um, so we're having this conversation, and now he's soaking, yeah? So he's soaking because I've, I've pulled him straight. And I said, listen, while we're in this cell, I'm your family. Treat me like I'm your family member. Have some blood clot respect, you know what I mean? We're both this. So he's soaking now. He's not happy. Mm. So anyway, he's talking to his missus on the phone. He's talking in French to his missus on his phone. But then all of a sudden he says in English, man, don't know. I will destroy him. Hmm? Oh, hello? <laughs> I can hear this in English, so he's talking this violent talk in English language, yeah? Mm. 
So anyway, when he comes up to the phone, I said, why are you chatting like that on the phone and then, like, talking, you know what I mean? You talk four hours in French, and then you're talking, like, them violence kind of language in English and that, you know what I mean? goes, don't get involved in my phone calls. I said, no, I'm not getting involved in my phone calls, but it's like, that's designed for me, you know what I mean? Like, why are you chatting like that? Anyway, cut long story short, one time he just reached and he was on the phone to his missus and he reached over at the same time and turned over the TV. So I said, brother, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm watching the TV. You're reaching over and turning over the TV. I said, you're not even watching TV. You're, you're on the phone to your missus. I said, what are you doing, brother? You know what I mean? So he goes, listen, mind how you're talking to me. So I said, listen, right? You have got to behave in the cell. You know what I mean? You can't just be doing that, acting as if I'm invisible. So he goes, I'm not going to put up with this, you know? So I said, what are you going to not put up with? So he goes, I'm not going to put up with this. And he got ragey. And then, you know, remember, he's on the phone to his missus. Mm. He threw down the phone on the floor. He swept the TV and everything, you know, because the TV's got a computer attached to that. He swept that off the floor. I said, I'm not going to put up with this. And when I saw him, I just thought to myself, wow, there's me with my back, yeah? My lower back. <laughs> well, I'm gonna fight this this guy who could do 50 triangle press up. Tells me he's a mixed martial artist, be stabbed three times and survived. You know what I mean? Now I'm not saying that I can't fight. Right? I'm not fighting no 28 year old man in a cell who um, he's 30 years younger than me. You know what I mean? I said, brother, brother. I said, all right. I said, listen, calm yourself down. I just went into counselling. <laughs> I said, my brother. I said, calm yourself down. It's not easy to be in um, a cell, you know what I mean? I said, sorry, my brother, I didn't mean to offend you. Mm. Talk to your missus, pick up the phone. She's going to be, she's going to be worried about you. Mm. Pick up the phone, you know what I mean? I said, listen, that's enough TV. Let's just turn off the TV, right? And then, while he was on the phone with his covers over his head and he's on the phone, I just got the plastic bags and I packed my things and I put them by the door. The next morning, when they opened, I was up for exercise at 10 o'clock. I just took my stuff out of the cell and I said, I'm not going back in the cell. Mm. You see, um, even though I say that as humans, we're very adaptable, we're strong, we can adapt under many environments, we get used to stuff, it has an effect on you, which you're not aware of, which you're not always aware of, which it might have been something that you was alluding to earlier when you said we're not aware of stuff. You yes. know, so I'm in a cell. So, you know, so um, I've moved out of that cell. I've gone to another cell and I get on the right with this geezer. And then um, exercise on this day is at half four or something, um, four o'clock, just before tea. And I remember at one time, I'm lying on the bed and I'm just thinking, oh, can I even be asked to put on my shoes and go out to have exercise, you know what I mean, on the yard? Then I thought, no, what am I doing? I've got to get daylight in my eyes, you know what I mean? Mm. And I went out on the exercise yard. There's only about 15 people out there. There's a pull-up bar. And as I was walking, as I walked out there mm. in the fresh air, it was fresh, you know what I mean? It wasn't cold, but it wasn't hot. hot. I felt like a big cloak had been lifted off me, you know what I mean? It was like a, it was a really um, strong feeling of upliftment, you know what I mean? It's like, um, I don't know, supposing you're at a really boring party and then you just see someone who you love very much, who you like very much, or somebody who you know you have fun with, mm. and it just brightens you, you know what I mean? And my point, what I'm trying to say is that 
I didn't even know how down I was feeling until I went outside in that half hour and I felt lifted up. Yeah. And I think when you're younger, these things imprint on you and imprint on you and imprint on you, you know what I mean? So we're not operating, I think. It is not normal to lock somebody in a place for 12 hours, let alone 23 hours. Mm. That is going to have an effect on you. You know what mm. I mean? It's going to put layers of anger on you and layers of misunderstanding of your behavior. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I just thought I'd bung that in because, yeah. um, you know, that we, what young people, you know what I mean? Sorry, I'm going into advice mode now, but that's the uncle. What young people don't think of, and I was that young person, you know what I mean? Mm. One of the things is that you think you've got forever. You know what I mean? You haven't got forever, you know? That idea that you've got right now, any young people listening or any people in charge of young people and their parents, work, that idea that they've got, that they think, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea if I was to make something out of this and sell that or do this and that, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, go and do it. Just act on it. Life goes past really quick. And people say to people, oh, you know, you know, you say to young people, oh, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah, you have, but it goes back, it goes past really quick, you know what I mean? Mm. You're, you know, you know, one minute you're 17, then bam, you're 25, and the next thing, boom, you're, you're, you're coming up to 40, you know what I mean? Yeah. It goes really quick, so... Time get flies. On, get on and do stuff, and be careful of the experiences that you're having, which you, which is in your power to avoid, no matter what's happened to you, you know what I mean? It's, mm. in, it's you know, we've we got more power, um, uh, we've got more agency over our actions than what we give ourselves credit for. For sure, for sure. Okay, so I, what I was asking earlier is, um, so in regards to work in education, was there any opportunities to do any of that while you was there? So as I said, there's a computer in the cell which is meant to be, you know what I mean, linked up to the network inside the prison where you can get access to educational stuff and this and that and this and that. Mm -hmm. However, the TV is such a strong distractor that hardly anyone does it. And I'm telling you that now, hardly anyone does it. Right. You know what I mean? And um, they're just, uh, I found that in Thameside this time, they were just going through the motion because they can't, you know what I mean? No one's going to classes and all the rest of it. So they were doing stuff online, but it's not online like Zoom. It's not face-to-face. -face. They send you messages, you know what I mean? And then they send some around to yourself to collect it. So I'd have to say, no, there's no educational opportunities unless you are the disciplined type who's able to, um, you know what I mean, self-study. Right, right, okay. So... Um, so I know you said there's, you know, there's phones, there's a computer screen, there's TVs. Uh, is that regardless of your behaviour in the prison? No, no. So it's a, it's a tiered system. So if you are on um, basic, you get basic. I think there's there's four of them. I think there's basic privilege. I can't remember it. The mm. IEP system. But basically, you can get your privileges taken. Way. If you're on basic, you can be on a on a tier where you don't have a TV in your cell or nothing. Right. Okay. And then you can be, you know, your basic tier is just your basic TV and your thing. Um, and then the higher ones are to do with how much money you can spend. Right. Um, in the place. Okay. But I've got to tell you, it doesn't make no difference what tier you are at the moment. Okay. You are banged up, and it's going to be like that for years. Now is not the time to go jail. Okay. If there ever is a time. 
Yeah. You, are, you know, this, this, this virus could be there for ages. And mm. if it does get into the prisons, it's going to be, it's going to decimate them. Yeah. So this yeah. is why they've got this stuff on lockdown and you ain't getting nothing. Right, right. You know, I had a visit and I had to sit a meter away and we was not allowed to touch at all on the visit. Mm. So, in, yeah, I was going to ask... Yeah, I was going to ask you about visits. So the process of visits from, from yourself to actually seeing your loved one or your friend, what, what is that journey like? So again, the, the visit from yourself. Yeah, so, so the, no, the process. So you, you've got a visit. It's, it's come to the day you have a visit um, and you're yeah, called they, to they visit. Literally, they come and get me. So remember, um, so I was there just before they went on to the second lockdown and then they went into the second lockdown, yeah? Mm. So I was lucky that I was one of the last people to get a visit before they stopped visits. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they just basically come and get you. Okay. You go to the visiting centre and they warn you not to do this and that, you know what I mean? Um, my visitor found it, she found it quite harrowing because mm. she'd never been through it before. Right. And she says that she just felt as if they've, they just... She said that she felt as if she was under suspicion. Right, right, yeah. The whole time. So and that made her very anxious. And you, and you say they've stopped visits now. They don't... Yeah, was there, they so during this lockdown, too. whether they've lifted them recently, mm. and I've got to tell you, even if they have, even if they have started visits again, and they, it's going to be very limited, and it's mm. only close family. Right, right, got you. Your friends can't visit and all that unless you okay. can find a way around it. Okay, so, I mean, you hear a lot about um, substances being available, drugs, etc. Um, you hear about drugs like spice in, in, in prison. So just tell me what you experienced, what you saw. So I can't talk about all the prisons. Mm. but um, About where you were, is, your experience. There is a, yeah, so there is a prison paper. There's a paper that goes to all the prisons and it's called Inside Time. There's another one called Journal. There's about three of them. Mm -hmm. And you can read about all the things, what's going on in other prisons and the spice and that. It's quite open. But my experiences of spice in jail, so, you know, I smoke weed, you know what I mean? On and off, I, uh, I give up. I'm sure I've told you before, Pablo, I've given up for six months at a time, nine months at a time, mm -hmm. now and then. I mean, I find it easier to live in this world if I can have a little split in the evening, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I'm locked up. And there's no weed, there's no smoking whatsoever. So okay. there's no, um, I mean, no tobacco, no cigarettes, no lighters, no whistlers, because they've stopped the smoking in the prisons now. Yeah? Oh, hang on, sorry, I didn't realize that. They, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's been that's been a good that's been a good five years now. So for five, yeah. you're not allowed to smoke yeah, at all good, in prison. Good three to five years, you are not allowed to smoke. So everybody gets equipped with vapes. Oh. You have a little vaping machine, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. So everyone in prisons vape. Now, not to say that, you know, people get everything into prison, so, mm. of course, you can get it. Mm -hmm. um, screws usually bring it. <laughs> mm. But, yes, you can get it, but everyone's vaping, so it's not so easy now, plus everyone's locked up, so you can't get So what right. they've got is um, spice. Now, spice can be mixed with a herbal thing and it can look like ganja, it can look like tobacco, you can roll it up and smoke it. Mm. However, you can also impregnate sheets of paper with it 
and mm. you can't see it. It's just on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, prisoners will be prisoners and got various ways of getting around things. So you can get your vape machine. And then if you happen to get your vape machine from Pentonville, which is different from the vape machines in Thameside, mm. and the ones in Pentonville has got an element them. And because, you know, you move from prison to prison, those will get into things. And they've got an element in them which heat. Uh, so... This is what they do if somebody wants literally just to smoke. They want a nicotine hack, yeah? Mm. The prison encourages prisoners to come off smoking, to stop smoking, so they give them nicotine patches. Right. So they'll give you a stack of nicotine patches. And what prisoners do is they get the kettle and they boil the kettle and they put the nicotine patch on top of like a sauce or something Mm. on top of the kettle. And then when it steams, all the gum, all the guns, all the nicotine guns comes out the patch because you know they've got nicotine in them. Mm. They've got their nicotine patch in. And then they'll get a tea bag and they'll roll the tea they'll roll the tea leaves a lot in the in the gum. Mm-hmm. In the nicotine gum. And then they'll get some because remember there's no Rizzlers, so they'll get some papers they'll get from the Bible. Because mm. they're really thin. And then you get your milk sachet, which is just powder, and you mix up a bit of the milk sachet with water, and that makes a paste. And then you can stick your Rizla, which is the page from the Bible. The Bible. Mm. And then you smoke that, and you apparently you get a really good cigarette hit, like a nicotine hit. And you know, some people would actually kill the cigarettes in the room. You know, smokers are smokers, you mm. know what I mean? You know, so... If someone can get a half ounce in there, you can sell that for 100 quid, no mm. problem. Mm. Anyway, so that's um, right. the nicotine thing. So, but so then pe- go on, go ahead. I was going to say, they've also got the, um, you know, the spice. Now, when I first saw spice, that was when, it, when back in 2015, I was serving a three-year sentence and I was at, you know what I mean, I was at Tenside. Mm. And the first time I saw Spice, I came off the induction wing. The induction wing is the wing you go on for about three or four days before they move you into the main wing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I came off the induction wing, then I went on to one of the wings, and um, everybody was laughing and pointing out this geezer. And this geezer was just walking on the landing. He had no shorts on, so he had just had his bollocks hanging out, a T-shirt on. And I was laughing, laughing, and this guy couldn't find his cell. But the thing is, he was right outside his cell, but he couldn't find his cell. Mm. And he was on spice, you know what I mean? And then where my cell was, you know, this is back in 2015 to 2016, where my cell was, I could see deliveries come in and cars come in. And I'm telling you now, an ambulance used to come in at least once a week for someone who had a spice attack, you know what Mm. I mean? Mm. It's um, it's a um, messed up. So I've never, cause me, I'm scared, bro. You know what I mean? We've got enough to deal with my mental health. You know what I mean? Mm. So I'm scared. So I always, always use prison as an opportunity to give up smoking. Right, right. Okay. So and and but little bits of paper. You know, there's a lid. It's you're talking about a piece of paper, say the size of um, say four postage stamps. Mm. That that's the deal, you know what I mean? You, that, they sell that. Right. 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 Okay. So, um, and in regards to homemade alcohol and things like that, you hear about does does that sort of thing still go on in prison? You know, um, so 
So I was going back, I was going to prison back in the day, late 70s and 80s, back in the day when the idea of having a TV in the cell was unheard of. Mm. If somebody said one day they're going to have TVs in the cell, you'd think they were mad, you know what I mean? We mm. had radios, we did not have toilets, we had little piss pipes. Mm. We used to shower once a week, you know what I mean? We had absolutely nothing back in the day, yet you would get some article people who could make a roast dinner from an iron, mm. browning the meat and everything, roast potatoes, they would do it on a clothes iron. You know what I mean? You know, if you run out of batteries, I could, um, I could power my radio from the light and the screw could come in and they wouldn't even notice it because mm. we could get tiny strands of um, wire tiny tiny strands in which you could hardly see unless you were looking for them and that could power my radio you know what i mean so mm. in regards to um you know, what I mean? you know people practical stuff yeah. and people people doing stuff and making alcohol yeah of course they yeah. can do that you know what i mean you've got to remember there are cell searches and all that so mm. it's hard you know what i mean but mm. it can be done and people do it and plus the screws are so freaking lazy and now they've got even more reason to be lazy they don't do all the searches they're meant to when i was there uh two lots of people managed to attack each other three times in three days mm. this is you know what I mean so so yes um alcohol very easy you just get your fruit juice you get some white bread you soak the white bread in water for a while then you squeeze it all out and then that liquid has got the yeast in it and then you add your fruit juice and whatever bits of apple or anything that you can get to ferment in there and you put that in there in an airtight container and then you just let out the air every now and then. And let me tell you, I have tasted, not a this sentence because everything's locked out, I have tasted um, hooch, prison hooch, which was so clear that it, 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 it was better than, than like a 50-year-old whiskey, you know what I mean? So wow. clear and so smooth because the person knows what they're doing drip by drip. So, mm. yes, yes you, well, get, you know, it's not rampant. It's not rampant, you know mm. what I mean? It's probably rampant in the other prisons up north and the more open prison, but definitely not in the London prison. Mm. I think what, what a couple of things come across with all that you've said so far is um, I can imagine people listening to this and and thinking, one, uh, you know, people get really creative with the minimal, you know, um, amount of facilities, you know, yeah. and with all that restriction. And then two, as well, when you talk about, you know, TVs, phones, showers in room, you know, computers, some people listen to this and probably think, you know what, prison sounds like a holiday camp, you know. Um, would, you, would, would you agree with that? Or, or, I mean, because you, you alluded to a little bit of violence. Let, let me be honest there, yeah? Mm -hmm. As I, I keep talking about the adaptability of the human spirit, mm. right? and, uh, you know, um, I, I'd have to say that I became institutionalised years ago mm. to the extent where I would commit crimes thinking, if I get caught for this, I could get a five, I can handle a five. Mm. I don't think many people go out there committing crimes with that kind of mentality 
that, you know what I mean, thinking, yeah, I'll probably get caught for this, yeah, but I can handle prison, you know mm. what I mean? You can't mess with people like that. You can't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's sit chaser and someone says, call the police, I say, fucking call them. Well, you see if I care, you know what I mean? I'll do the burn for you. You know what I mean? This, you know, um, so I'm trying to remember. So it's getting late. I'm trying to remember why I was even telling you that bit. Ask me the question again. Yeah, no, it's just that, like I said, some people listen to this and think it's a bit of a holiday camp, but you did speak about, um, you know, yeah. you alluded to some of the violence there. So did you see any any yeah, violence so, um, attacks and stuff this like that? This idea of a holiday camp, right? What we're talking about in this world, why we're on this planet, is quality of life, yeah? Mm-hmm. You've got to have quality of life. In order to have quality of life, then you've got to have some good years of quality of life because they're the... There, the thing is that quality of life that you do in your 20s, which is going to give you the quality of life in your 30s and 40s. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, um, you know, if I'd done better in my 20s, I would be doing better now. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I don't think people are talking about that. When you go into jail, you are wasting your life. Now, you might think to yourself, you, you are killing your life. You're destroying your life. You know what I mean? It's, you know, um, if you consider anything could be cushy, you know, you can be in a hotel, a five-star hotel, and you're not allowed to go out of that room, you ain't going to like it, you're going to find tons of reasons, if you can pick up the phone, you're going to find lots of reasons to complain, because you haven't got, you know what I mean, you're not allowed out, you know what I mean, Mm. so this idea of cushy or not cushy, that's not the point, because you adapt, you know what I mean? And there's human rights, you know what I mean? You've got a TV, you know what I mean? If you're in pain, you can get painkillers. There's a gym, you know what I mean? And when, when it's not locked down and that, you've got rights. You can get a bloody massage in jail, crying out loud, you know what I mean? So it's not a case of whether it's cushy or not. This is not the point. You know what I mean? You can survive anything. You know what I mean, mm. there's certain people whose homes right now are worse than the prison cell. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? They're living in a hovel. They will do better in prison cells. They're living in a hovel. They've got addictions. They've got no freaking friends. They're lonely as anything. They go to jail. They they can't get hold of their their drug of choice and they manage to, by hook or crook, sort out their addictions mm. and they've got a few friends in there. You know what I mean? It, you know, it's not a case of... It's, it's a mistake to say, oh, right, jails aren't cushy, so... Um, I mean, like, don't go there. That, that, uh, that's not enough to put people off jail. Mm. I mean, you know, people, you know, the, uh, people knew about the trenches and knew about all that stuff in the army, and they were still signing up. Mm. You yeah. know, um, yeah. I don't think that just because something might be uncomfortable or discomfort is enough to put people off, especially us ad- adventurous human spirits who want, who came on this earth to experience life in all its forms, you know what I mean? Like, when I was young, I had no problem. I thought, yeah, let me go to Baltimore, I'll handle that, you know mm. what I mean? Because I came here to experience life. So it's not a case of whether it's cushy or not. You can adapt. What mm. is a case of, is it a worthwhile endeavour? Is there anything in it? Can you get anything out of it, you know what I mean? I would say, if you are hardcore, hardcore you know what I mean, saliva-dribbling junkie who stinks and can't think of anything else apart from getting some heroin or crack and their life is shit, then yeah, maybe a little two years in prison might bloody straighten them out, you know what I mean? Mm. But I don't think it's a... 
it's not a positive place. It puts your life on hold. When you have got to go and live in the real world, it makes things harder in terms of actions and thoughts. You know what I mean? You know, like, um, you know, like when my when my friends were of age where they were learning to go out and chat to women and chirping women and that, what was I doing? Doing a freaking detention centre. You know what mm. I mean? No mm. bloody women, you know what I mean? I was doing ball stool, you know what I mean? When my mates were getting laid, you know what I mean? You think when I'm coming out, I'm knowing how to chat to women. I talk, I'm talking about prison to women. Mm. I mean, the fights I've had. Because mm. <laughs> yeah. I thought, because that's all I, I kind of knew when I was young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a complete waste of human spirit. Mm. Now, that isn't to say that people who are on a journey like myself to better myself and do the rest of it can't snatch little bits of value out of whatever situation they find themselves in. So I have to say that last time I was in jail, I made some very good contacts. People I'm still in contact with now, you know? Mm. Um, in as much, I'm not, and I'm not talking about prisoners. I'm talking about organisations that mm. was in the jail, you know what I mean? Mm. I was on Zoom with one the other day. I had to do some poetry for you know what I mean? Um, mm. But lots of people do have this kind of attitude that, oh, it's a rites of passage, oh, it will make a man out of me, oh, I'll get some kind of reputation or some kind of prop about being in jail. Mm. And yeah, you can because they do glorify it on TV and all the rest of it. But prison is shit. Prison is shit. Mm. Prison is shit. Okay, mm. you will soon. The moment you get in there, no matter what you think, whether you go to a cushy jail or not, whether all your brethren's are there and all the rest of it, no matter what, from the moment you're there, all you want to do is leave. Mm. You want to get out. You have that every day of your being, every hour, even if you're serving a five-year sentence or ten-year sentence. You think to yourself, oh, it would be wicked if I could just get out now. Mm. You say things like, you know what? If they said to me, right, you can get discharged, but you have to hop home all the way on one leg naked, would you do it? And yeah, you would do it. You would yeah. do anything to get anything out of there. You know why? Mm. Because your soul knows that you are wasting your time in there. It's mm. a complete waste of time. People talking utter shit. Mm. People, I'm telling you, people in jail, they talk shit because there's, they talk stuff to kind of lift their mind out of the situation they're in so they'll big themselves up you know what I mean mm. but after a while when you hear it you realise it's all bullshit you know what I mean mm. what's more admirable you know what I mean you know you're going out and you're chatting to a girl what's more admirable do you want the girl who's going to be thrilled that you've um you know what I mean, that you've done a three-year sentence and you survived, you know what I mean? Yeah, some women's head may be spun like that. Or do you want the woman to be thrilled because, you know what I mean, you had this design for a T-shirt or bloody trainers and you're setting up your business and you're, mm. you're doing your thing, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, I, I know which one is more admirable, you know what I mean? And for you sure. have to be careful of anyone who wants to admire you or big you up because you managed to do prison, sod you. You're nothing special because you managed to do a prison sentence, you know what I mean? Yes, you managed to survive because maybe you're a young man and you went to prison and there's your ops there and you managed to survive with your ops you represent, but it's boring. So what? So what? What's the... There's nothing about it. I don't get it. And as I said, 
there's something to be said about the people who are going to big you up just because you've been in jail. And I'm not talking about your brethren and your bona fide who's standing by you no matter what, you know what I mean? Mm. But, you know, just because what you know a man from jail, that's that's a mark of respect, you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so tell me, moving forward then, tell me about, you know, release day, the morning you wake up, or the day before, in fact, in fact, the week, you know you've got one more week to go. Tell me what, what that experience is Yeah, so, is like. you know, that's when the sleep... So I have to take my back myself back to these times when I used to really feel it. So, you know, um, when you know you're... You will do anything to get yourself out, you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, there's a certain amount of acceptance, but, you know, you get sentenced, you start thinking, ooh, could I appeal, you know what I mean? Or should I have done things that... Maybe if I pleaded not guilty, you start thinking along with mm. Can you appeal? Then you're thinking about your release date, so, you know, you get your what you call your home detention curfew, which is automatic now. So you get, if you get sentenced to under four years, you get a home detention curfew date, but not everybody gets their bracelet. So Explain home for, detention, the, for those Home detention know. curfew is the HDC where when you've got something like eight weeks left of your sentence, they can put a tag on your ankle and they send you home and then you do the rest of your prison in your house. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you might have a curfew from eight in the evening till eight in the morning or seven in the evening to death. Mm. And then you've got your EDR, which is your early state release, because everything under four nowadays is cut in half. And then you've got your last state release, which is when it's not cut in half. Mm. And um, yeah, you know, um, this time it was a bit of a fool because I didn't think I was going to get home detention curfew, and then all of a sudden I got it. They right. didn't tell me. They didn't tell me officially. You know, I mean, um, which was a thrill, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you are, um, what are you asking me, like how you feel? Well, yeah, the, the, the last week, knowing home. that, knowing, knowing yeah. that you're going home in a week's time. And well, well, what happens is this is what happens. Yeah, so um, you know you're going to get home. You just had the notification that you've got your home detention curfew, or your parole has come through. It's just a week before you leave. You know what I mean? You think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the day before, you give away all your things and you give away all your toiletries that you bought from the canteen, any food you got, you know what I mean? And mm. all the rest of it. And then you hug everyone and you pass numbers and say, yeah, I'm going to come and check you, you know, and all that, you know what I mean? You have numbers, yeah, hug, swap numbers and that. And then you go outside and then within six weeks you come back in. Mm. <laughs> you have to ask for all your things because um, I don't know if you know, but it's like, what is it? 50% of prisoners return within the first year. Right. It's a rolling thing. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's not so much how excited you are when you're getting out. It's can you fucking stay out? Mm. You know, the other day, you know, because I'm on license now. I got out recently, a month or so ago. I'm on license now. The other day, um, usually in my probation office, I talk to her over the phone, but this time she says, I'll come in. So I'm in the waiting room, and this one guy come in, and he seems a bit worse for wear, seems a bit caned, and he's having a go at the receptionist, and he proper laying into the receptionist telling her about us you know, coating her off and all the rest of it and he's causing such a fuss that they called the police mm. and the police came in and the first thing they said was excuse me Mr. You know, Roger Crusoe what the name is Roger Crusoe um, you've reached your conditions and you will be now returned to prison so what I'm trying to say is it is so easy to get returned to prison you can kick off in a probation office you can get into aggravation where you don't get arrested 
or you don't get charged with anything, but you can get returned to prison. It's yeah. so easy to get returned. So it's not a case of how excited you are when you get out. Of course, mm. that's excitement. That's excitement. You're, you're all the things that you're thinking about are mm-hmm. about to come. I remember I used to just lie on my bed thinking about a pint of Guinness. Let's just lie there. I used to drink it in detail, I tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? The fantasy of it is much better than the actual reality of it. Right, right. Okay, so, so you, I mean, obviously you, 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 you've been released from prison now. You're on, you're on your tag, um, and now we're, you know, obviously your thing is to stay out of prison. So, what is your, what's your take um, on this? You know, this this year we've had. You know, 2020 has been, you know, a very challenging year. Uh, you know, a very different year to what any of us have ever experienced in in living memory. Um, but in regards to the awareness of the the black experience, you know, and and the in inequalities that's been exposed, what's what your what's your take on that? What's your thoughts? Mm. You see, um, that that's one thing which you cannot not notice about prison: the heavy presence of black people in the jail. And now the black people running the jail, so the heavy presence of um, black prison officers. Thames side is mostly black prison officers, I would say. Mm. I mean, and that. Um, but in regards to things like, are you talking about in regards to the marches and Black Lives Matter? Yeah, just everything that's happened. Yeah, what's your take on the global awareness yeah. of the black experience and the inequalities? You know, what's, what's your take on it? What's your perspective? Okay, so lately when I have discussions about this, I find myself um, a bit of an outsider compared to what other people would think um, generally, or I should say not other people, but people I speak to. Um, This is how I see it, yeah? Mm -hmm. I see there's humans on the earth with other humans... And we've got things to deal with. Um, we've got struggles. So we've got the struggle with the environment, the natural environment, yeah? Mm-hmm. You know, the wind, the rain, the land, or whatever, you know what I mean? We, and then we've got struggles with the cooperations with other people, our fellow human beings, whether that be our sister, brother, or person from another country, or whatever, person from another background. So we've got our struggles with the environment, and then we've got struggles with other human beings. And these struggles with the environment take certain, you know what I mean? You could, you could, you could put them into certain categories, you know what I mean? You could have problems with the land, I guess, growing earth and that, and then problems with the, um, I don't know, Mm-hmm. The weather, yeah, the problems with the bill, yeah, and then you've got different levels of problems with human beings, yeah. Okay. So you know what I mean. So when things are not running well, there's a struggle to cooperate. There's a struggle to understand each other. There's a struggle to get my wants to go with that person's wants. And then there's the things that we're told, and you know what I mean. Because I'm in no doubt that you know what I mean. Um, opinion can be swayed and you know what I mean, produced and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? So there's all that going on as well. Mm -hmm. So these struggles that human beings have with each other come in different 
energies, different categories, different ways, you know what I mean? Whether they could be because of we're from different countries or because one lot of humans do things this way, but this have a lot prefer to do it the old way. Mm. Or because one set of, you know what I mean, way of doing things is considered wrong, but they have a lot don't think it's wrong because that's how they've done it. So there's these struggles, and you know what I mean, we work them out as we're going along. Now, one of these struggles, regardless of how it's come about, it is a struggle. One of the struggles between people is this um, colours, colours, yeah? Mm-hmm. So black and white people or whatever, you know what I mean, which is different from the race, the poor and white people, different from that struggle, it, even though there's crossovers. And it seems different from the country, you know what I mean, immigration struggles, you know what I mean? Like when you get one country, you want to do things. I mean, there seems to be this other struggle which is based solely on skin, you know what I mean, skin colour, and that struggle that's developed out of that. Mm-hmm. Now, my look on it is that it's just another struggle of people who, and when I say peoples, I'm not talking peoples, yeah? Mm-hmm. A person who wants to do something in their life, whatever that thing might be, and then something will get in that person's way. And, uh, you know what I mean? The journey is to overcome that. Okay. So so I would say, so what I'm trying to say is that I see race and racism as one of these things which comes our way and we have to battle with in order to get what we want. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. Um, so, um, I mean, look, your story, I think your, your, your story, your, your recent experience in, in prison is a, it's such a good insight and a current insight. And like you said, you know, depending on what prison you go to and, and where you know, what, what time you, you went to prison and stuff like that, it's, it's going to be different. Um, and, you know, you've, you've, you've gone to prison in a, in a unique time. You've gone in at a unique time. You've come out at a unique time, being 2020 through COVID and stuff. Um, and you've come out into this world where, like you were speaking about, the whole Black Lives Matter and, you know, this awareness of the black experience and stuff. And, and yeah, it's it's interesting times, but I really do appreciate you giving us an insight into what you've most recently gone through. Um, if I ask now, what what are your what are you most concerned about um, going into twenty twenty one? What what do you, how do you see that planning out? Considering where we are now. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking because. Um the the idea of being you know concerned concerned for me or concern for the human race you know what I mean you know um I I I I'm just concerned for me I I, I what I um think about is that you know you know if when he's talking about the race thing you know what I mean um you know um no matter what racism has done to me I've done much more to myself to prevent me from reaching 
my goals than racism ever has. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I've self-sabotaged myself more than racism ever has, you know what I mean? So what I, if I've got any fears, did you say? Um, yeah, no, just what are your what concerns? I'm about, yeah, no. my concerns is that I want to, you know, like I think to myself, I've probably got about 20 sort of active years left before I'm too decrepit to move about and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, I want my next 20 years, which is literally 20 summers, which is not many days. It's something like 8,000 days. It's not mm. many, bloody hell, 8,000 days. It's not many days I've got left. Mm. I, my concern is that I waste them. My concern is that I do not learn from the previous 57 and then put into action certain things to make my life a bit more shiny and rosy. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not saying I've regretted everything that's happened because it hasn't, you know what I mean? But I want... So, yes, I haven't got concerns for the human race. I think we will do what we're going to do when, if it goes... If we if if we'll start fighting each other, we're gonna start fighting each other. It's not mm. like we've never done it before, you know what I mean? It's not like we've never had diseases to fight before. You know what I mean? And you know, I I, I don't get those concerns. I don't have them, you know what I mean? Um, you know, like okay. I remember a few years ago it's all about the bumblebee, weren't it? The honeybee. And I was never concerned. I thought if they go extinct, the bees, we will still survive. We'll find another way to pollinate the plants mm. or we'll just pollinate them in a different way or we'll, you know what I mean we, we will survive and we'll survive and we will carry on striving to kind of cooperate with each other as best we can mm -hmm. and overcome the hurdles that uncooperation and the world throws at us okay. so I haven't got concerns I haven't got concerns for sort of black people as a whole or, you know what I mean Yes. Um, I, you know, I look at certain things, I notice certain things, and I notice certain swings, you know what I mean? I, you know, I've noticed a certain victimising of oneself, or, or I shouldn't say I've, not I've, I've noticed how much it goes on, I think it was always there, I just didn't notice it before. I try to, I try to take the language out of myself that is of victim behavior mm. you know what i mean as an as a reason or excuse for what's going on with me or why i don't do stuff i i don't think it's a very strong place to be you know what i mean yeah. um so yes you could say if i'm concerned i'm concerned that this victim kind of style or way of getting along is going to um or whatever it does. Actually, I'm not concerned because whatever it does, we'll take it on board. You know what yeah, I mean? What, we'll, what will be, will be. We'll, we'll, we'll adapt um, pretty much um, like, you know, your experience in prison. You know, mm. we, we adapt and you've, you've spoken we'll about We'll adapt that. and then we have to realise the effect it has on us and take steps to shake it off. You know mm. what I mean? I realised that I became institutionalised. I realised that I was, I, be, I behaved in a way sometimes that could get me jailed or not, you know what I mean? And then I start to realize, hold on, but there are people out here who actually love me, you know what I mean? And mm. this has an effect on them, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, 
you know, what does it say about my sense of dignity of how I see myself? There's me, you know what I mean? If I talk to young people or whoever and I'm talking about, you know, you know your, your, your esteem, your self-esteem and all the rest of it, and then I'm getting into trouble, mm. that's not a bit, it doesn't make me, it doesn't fill me with self-esteem. Okay. So no, no, that's that's yeah, fine. Yeah. That's fine. So, so, um, what? I mean, you, 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 I know you alluded to it a little bit, but we didn't go into it. So I just want to kind of give some balance. Um, so the things that you've done during your time, we know you've done a lot of a lot of prison. Um, we know you've recently come out of a, a short sentence, shortish sentence. But you've spoke about doing other things um, with charities and etc so oh yeah yeah so i've always you know i've always done a bit of acting yeah mm -hmm. and as you know i'm a spoken word artist mm -hmm. so because i you know what i mean i can use my voice and i can do bits of acting i get called on to do things like host events and represent this charity and that charity and while i was doing my three uh, back in Thameside back in 2015, I came across some good charities, so Good Vibrations, which go into prisons and they play the Gamelan Orchestra, and mm -hmm. I was just on a Zoom call with them yesterday. And then there's the Peace Education Programme, which are, you know, um, there's a speaker who speaks on peace. Um, you, you, uh, like what he says when he says it's not the world that needs peace it's individuals that need peace but the world would have peace mm -hmm. quite like that finding peace within yourself so yeah I do stuff with them that's a peace education program and celebrate life and then there's another one um, Breathe Smart which was a kind of yoga breathing kind of meditation thing which I do stuff for so yes and also I get called you know Every now and then, because of my spoken word status and that, I get, mostly it's on Zoom nowadays, but I get called into schools mm -hmm. and the pupil referral units and, you know what I mean, the occasional prison to talk to people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, yes, I am also with my spoken word and I'm trying to write plays at the moment. And I've done tons of stuff, Pablo, you know what I mean? You know, in another lifetime, I used to actually train university lecturers how to how to um, teach people like me, mm. people who are indisciplined, because, you know, all this, you know, the universities were into this widening diversity and participation where they were allowing people through their halo gates from non-academic backgrounds and people from day release from prison and, you know what I mean, and, you know, mothers going back into nursing after growing up their children and that. Mm. And because these people, the participants, the students, did not know how to work, they had different learning styles. Mm. So they were not very good at sitting in a lecture hall for two hours and listening to a lecture with, you know, 300 other people. Yeah. They'd talk to the person next to them and say, what did he just say? Or... You know what I mean? Ask questions and, you know what I mean? Totally throw the lectures. And the lectures didn't know how to handle it. So mm. I'd go in and I used to train them how to teach people like myself, which I used to really enjoy. I'm mm. brilliant at running workshops. I thought, oh, I've suddenly started going into talking all about myself. Oh, yes, because you asked me, what am I going to do? What am I doing now? Yeah, I mean? So, yeah. yeah, I've done stuff and I'm doing stuff. It's just yeah. that I've had this vein of... Um, this thread of this ribbon of criminality going through my life. Yeah. Which um yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and ho hopefully hopefully you're you're at the end of that ribbon. 
you know, and, yeah. and you go on to do all the other stuff um, and, and kind of feed into the stuff that you've been doing in between, you know, them stints in prison because obviously you've done stuff in the community, positive stuff in the community as well as yeah. everything and, else. And also, you know, like, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm inward looking, so I do look at myself and I look at my behaviour and I often come across, you know what I mean, you know, when I'm just walking about or I just see someone that I see someone who's, they remind me a bit of me. They remind me a bit of, you know what I mean, what I might have been thinking or going through when I was young, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there is something to be said about guidance. I have to say, right, that regardless what I talk about my own agency and I knew I was doing wrong and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? I do felt that I missed out on guidance mm. when I was young, you know what I mean? Mm. And guidance is not your mum screaming at you because, you know what I mean, you're, you're of course. doing something wrong, you know what I mean? Mm. I do miss out on that. And I look at people nowadays and I just think, oh, what were some of the things that I should have done or what would have really helped me and make, give me a different outlook on life? Yeah. Mm. You, mm. you know what one of the number one things is? Saving. Mm. I never used to save, brother. Yeah. I used to get my money and spend it on comics or street sweets straight away. Mm. If I saved it, it'd get as much as a tenner and then I'd pull it out and spend it. There's something to be said to young people about having that ha developing that habit of saving now. Mm -hmm. It's easy to do. You just bung away a couple of quid every week and then just forget about it. Mm. Because when that comes at that time, you know what I mean? You are much less likely to teeth. Because, you know, you could just go to your bank and pull out the money, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you need that bit of cash for that investment and all the rest of it, it is so handy to to have saved, you know what I mean? And yeah. I really do think, and I know it might sound a thing, but I really do think that if I had saved money when I was younger, I wouldn't be such a team. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? it would have made a difference, as, as well as many other things. So I want, I yeah. want to just ask you a question now, because we, we, we're going to wrap up soon. But... um. If you could just use your imagination and go back in time to a 20-year-old Errol, what, would, what advice would you give a 20-year-old Errol? I would say, yo, Errol, you know that you really like... Remember, at school, the only thing that you really liked doing was just writing stories and that you could just write a story at the back of your hat, you know what I mean? And people used to comment... People comment on your writing, so Errol, follow that, follow that, follow that writing, develop a writing habit, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, you know, um, you quite like basketball, you really like doing basketball, you're not really good at it, mm -hmm. but you like it so much that you know you could get good at it, mm -hmm. follow that. Don't just because you went to two basketball places and people just weren't interested in you joining or you had to try too hard that you just give up you know what I mean mm. you know there's many ways there's many ways and nowadays I mean people got it lucky nowadays because they got the internet they can find a basketball court but I was in Hillington two basketball courts were interested and I gave up you know what I mean mm. I just think that if you are not following your passion you know what I mean your passion is where your purpose is I'm going to give it all that sort of personal development kind of speak mm. but there's a lot to say about it that the things that you're passionate about the things that you're interested in that interest and that passion ain't you that's your soul that's your spirit inside you saying look this is the thing 
that is going to give your life purpose. Yeah. This will make you think that any suffering that you have in your life is going to be worth it because you've got this thing. Some people got their writing, some people got their children, whatever that thing is, you know what I mean? The stamp collecting, whatever that thing is that gives your life purpose, mm -hmm. you can suss that out because you get little inklings of it when you're young mm. and you just think, oh, you daydream about it or it's something that you talk about or you go a bit goggly when you think about it. It's what you YouTube, you know what I mean? Yeah. That thing that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Get into that, get into that and that will make your life feel worthwhile. Yep, I think you that wanna, you won't want to cop out every minute and be smoking this and that because you want to cop out a life because I mean it's not worthwhile or you're getting involved in ultra bloody set stuff or whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. All loads of cop outs because you're not finding um, your soul is saying, listen, you're not you're not using the book. Yeah. No, good advice for for a twenty year old <laughs> Errol, for sure. Um so uh, what was the last book you read? The, okay, the last book. Okay, the last book I read was Small Island because while I was in jail, I um, joined the book club in there. That was one thing that you could do. Where, but this is how the book club goes: you, know? you read the book and then you fill in a questionnaire and just hand it to them. No discussion. But mm -hmm. I read Small Island by um, what's her name? Um, oh, I forget the name now. Oh gosh, it's going to come to me. We've made them so Andrea Levy, that's it. Okay. Levy, a small island, and it's about this woman. It just reminds me of my mum. You get her, you know what I mean? You know, it's very easy when you're growing up. I can blame my mum for giving me licks and that, you know what I mean? But then the empathy is like when you realise what your mum had to deal with and what your, where your mum was coming from, you know what I mean? And the shock that she had when she came to the country and that, you know what I mean? Might explain her actions, and this mm. really did. So it's basically about um, this woman who came to England and the surprise. But the story is told from the viewpoint of five different people and two of them are English. So okay. it's very good. Small Island, Andrew Levin. Okay. But I'm also reading, because I want to recommend this book, I'm also reading, it's a, oh, it's really weird. It's by Ocean Vong. Ocean Vong. He's a young poet, but he's written a thing called On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. And it's just this beautiful, poetic, prosy type of stuff. But yeah, mm. it takes me away. So I'm reading that at the moment. Okay. Well, look, it's been amazing um, speaking to you today. Very insightful. Very <laughs> Good insightful. luck editing it, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> there'd be no need for that it'd be alright yeah. um, no and, thank and you and I, I hope I hope maybe maybe you'll find 30% of it bang you you know what I mean I always say that when I'm chatting there's probably only about 30 or 40% of what I'm saying which is value the rest is waffle you know what I mean but hopefully what I say comes from the heart you know what I mean yeah. I'm trying to be open and I really don't want people to get that idea that you know, going to jail is going to somehow make a man of you or somehow give you a right to passage or somehow give you cred. You mm. know what I mean? It no, might sure. do, but very, very briefly. And the downside of it is, you know what I mean? You know, rather go to, rather go to Morley's College and do a writing course, you know what I mean? Mm, anyway. For sure. Anyway. So look, yeah. look, it's been, it's been really good. I mean, I, I, like I said, I really appreciate it and I, lo I love speaking to you and hearing your 
your experience, your life experience. You know, yeah, every, yeah. everybody's. I love your podcast. Can I just say, by the way, I really enjoy um, listening to your podcast. I'm somebody who doesn't watch TV, so that means I don't really follow the news. So mm. it's good to kind of get a little roundup of things which are affecting the black community, even though I, I challenge the idea of the black community, but that's another story. But mm. I like the idea of it because there is, you know what I mean? things which are affecting black people. And I like the idea that you bring them up and you float them. You float them, you know what I mean? And, you know, I've had quite a few discussions with my partner over stuff that you've um, that you brought up. So, yeah, carry on doing what you're doing, my man. I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, but, look, it, before I let you go, I mean, it would be... It would be I, I don't think it would be right if I didn't see if there was a spoken word piece that you could add because you're you're a man of many talents and i've heard okay. you many times <laughs> you see um, i was prepared to do a spoken word but yes i can definitely do a spoken word piece and um i can base it on what we've been talking about actually so yeah yeah so tell me when you're ready well go for it as soon as you're ready well it's like a excuse the cough <coughs> over a period of time I built up these walls in the halls of my mind. They limit my perception of how far I can climb. These walls and I, well, we go way back to when I first found myself penned in a crib, in a crash, in my first orphanage. No, my parents weren't dead. And ever since then, in one way or another, whether because I mucked up or had a run of bad luck, I get locked up in kids' homes and hostels, detention centre and ballstool, Brixton to Felton, Master one oh, I've done them all. Sometimes I'm not even bothered no more. I'm like, sometimes it's good to get away from it all. I'm like, lock me the hell up and throw away the key. No, I don't just throw it, grind it up into pieces, just in case someone finds it and decides to release me. That's what you call freedom, you can keep it. Leave me be, major or minor crime, I'll do the time. These walls and I are just fine. Better than hanging around out here, getting my heart broke where there's a potential to smoke dope till I choke and attempt to dissolve this lump in my throat. You call this living? I'll call this a joke. Save your tears, I'll do a couple of years. There's no victims within these walls, just volunteers. I know it sounds senseless, but louder lawyer, man, I ain't got no defences. I just can't see beyond these barbed wire fences. Now, sometimes a man can get a little bit pensive. I mean, after all, I've been banging around within these walls now for over half a century. And I don't know what life is all about or how it's meant to be, but in another couple of decades, I'm called a cemetery. Maybe it's time I climbed out of this mind-made penitentiary. But you see those walls, they seem so tall. I guess I could climb them, but what if I fall? I said, I guess I could climb them, but what if I fall? Ah, I've got to stop walling around down here in the mire. You see, I thought I was safe within these walls, but these walls are a liar. So now I'm kicking off cell door. I'm biting through wire. I'm coming with a fire. I've got a new life desire. No more will these walls have me stumbling around like a fumbling clown. Oh, that rumbling sound? Well, prepare the ground. It's these walls. They're about to come tumbling down. Uncle Errol, spoken word. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I love it. I like that. I like that. Listen, you can Errol. You'll see more of that on YouTube. Put Uncle Errol on YouTube and you'll see stuff. Anyway. 
Thank you, Errol. Thank you. Really okay. appreciate Thank it, man. Thank you very much for having me, Pablo. Good luck with the editing and, you know what I mean, <laughs> cut, cut off whatever nonsense I start talking about and get the juicy bit out. All right, speak to you later. No worries. Listen, oh, yeah, thank you. No worries. Thank you for joining me today, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll definitely have you back. Yeah? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Definitely. Speak to you later. Okay. So thank you again for choosing Pablo's podcast today. And hopefully you can join me on the next one. Until then, take care and be nice to each other. Thank you for listening to Pablo's podcast. I'm Pablo from Hackney and you can catch me next week for more healthy discussion.